Greetings, Grapple fans. It's time for the first of a new short series of episodes of our podcast, Let Me Tell You Something, where we'll be reviewing the show where the opening and closing lines of this podcast come from. For 30 years, British wrestling has been off of the terrestrial TV waves, but now it is back in an updated form as World of Sport Wrestling is appearing every Saturday afternoon or early evening at 5pm for the next 10, well, it's been the first week, so for the next nine weeks. And so myself and my co-host, the Yestin Reese, to my Kip Sabian, Simon Cross. <laughs> you can tell there's been a f- not been many episodes because you only had one of those going, Lorcan. <laughs> well, I think, I think because we're going to be churning out quite a few, I'm only going to reserve it to one for these mini-reviews. Uh, I'm going to be sparing in your usage. Yes, yes. I've uh, got to use um, psychology. I don't know. Um, but we will be reviewing these episodes and giving our own opinions and what we think could improve, what we think is working so far. And at the end of the day, whether we think this can be a going concern. Because to give you an idea, if you're not aware of British media and how it works, for a wrestling show to be on ITV1 on a Saturday is a really big deal that is the second largest channel on british tv most second most watched channel on tv and saturdays in the uk have traditionally been where some of the biggest shows well the majority of the biggest shows are put on in countries like america they usually see saturdays as like a dumping ground of shows whereas in the uk it's really like the most highly rated entertainment and variety shows will be on it's when we show our X Factor around yeah, our X And back in the day when I was young, it was where you watched Noel's House Party, Gladiators. Um, Viewers outside, um, listeners outside the UK may need to do some rapid Googling right now. Whether you'd want to or not, I don't know. Who wants to really inflict Noel Edmonds on themselves um, without, <laughs> you know, without any undue cause? Um, but. What we're going to do then is we're going to recap these shows, uh, every every one of the segments, and we're not going to do star ratings or anything like that. Uh, at least I'm not planning to. I don't know if you are, Simon. And trying to look at it from a sort of... Because um, we've never done this. We've never really... As we've said ad nauseum in our regular show, we're about stepping outside of the day-to-day most recent news stories and providing a more holistic look at wrestling in general so it's something that you could come back to in two or three years time and it wouldn't feel that dated not yeah dated exactly um but this will be very dated i mean we're talking about the first week's episode and the second week's already on so maybe you wouldn't have even remembered what's happened in those shows (laughs) um but let's let's dive right into it really i mean um well let's also give some some um sense of so British Wrestling was the mainstay at 4pm to 4.45pm on Saturday afternoons on ITV for literally decades. The 60s, 70s and 80s, there was wrestling on a TV show called World of Sport, which was ITV's answer to BBC's Grandstand. And that was what Saturday afternoons on British TV were all about. It was about showing a variety of sporting events across the country and maybe even across the world. BBC would get most of the high-profile events like the World Snooker Championships, the Rugby Five Nations. Um, the athletics. Maybe, athletics, yes, absolutely. Uh, cricket game, cricket test matches, um, all those sorts of things, back before Sky Sports came along and sort of swallowed up a lot of that. Um, and ITV very often had to deal with the dregs for the most part. And 
it wasn't a drag, I suppose, but it was a unique selling point that they were the ones that showed wrestling. They would air one or two, usually two, I think, wrestling matches at 4pm from a town hall somewhere in England, usually. Um, like, Bedworth Civic Halls and things oh. like that, you know? They go all the way to Bedworth. And... <laughs> and... But yeah, it'd be like your Slows, your uh, Dovers, your, you know, not, not major cities. Yeah. Sometimes I'm sure there would be some in like the Birmingham Town Hall. And obviously, there was the huge Big Daddy giant haystacks and, and a few Big Daddy matches, I think, that took place in Wembley Arena yeah. and uh, the Royal Albert Hall as well. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it was sort of dingy, dark town halls and civic centres and famously it'd be like little old grannies on the front row getting angry at the heels or and uh, and cheering on the baby faces or the blue eyes, as they were called in the UK scene. But uh, the less said about the connotations of that phrase, the better. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, now as younger people, like I would have been too young to really remember like i've got vague memories of seeing something involving kendo nagasaki i think when i was young but i don't know if that was a clip show or whether it was an actual episode of the show itself but like i said it was off the air by 1988 when i was four or five years old uh some you wouldn't have even been born at that i was minus three you were Uh, minus three years old so most of our experiences would come from things like YouTube, and really, I, obviously, I didn't have a YouTube, so I didn't really get to watch any of that old British wrestling until the mid noughties And so, really, my only awareness of British wrestling was from whatever live shows I might have shown up to. For me, it was like a little promotion called K Star in Birmingham that ran a couple of shows in the Sutton Coldfield Town Hall. Yeah, um, all that stuff you'd months. see at holiday camps at Butlins. Yes, yeah, I didn't get to go to Butlins, but I did go to like a, a cheap alternative to Butlins, I guess. <laughs> so I got a cheap alternative to the Butlins circuit. Are you are you status shaming me early doors? <laughs> no, not at all, not at all, you privileged white middle class male or whatever it is. Yeah, I'm going to bring identity politics into it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for my for those shows, it was literally only four people. They came in, they set up the ring, they had one singles match each two singles matches and then a four man battle royal or the other way around four man battle royal then two singles matches or um i think yeah one was two singles matches and then a tag team match um and the rings classically british wrestling rings are tiny compared to like the ones you see in japan and america like oh, japan mexico. And american or mexico the, those rings are usually 20 by 20 or at smallest 18 by 18 that's like things. a uh, sort of style thing, though, isn't it? Because mm. British wrestling, by and large, was technical based, map based, like, yeah, very map based. Um, if you look at the, like uh, the original incarnation of World of Sport, mm. I think it was um, if you left the ring, you lost the match. Mm. I think that was a rule of like memory serves a bell. Because I remember one distinct thing when my grandma came in and I was watching WWE. Mm. And there was some outside of the ring action. It's like, they'd have both been disqualified for that. I'm like, right, it is very different. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, the rules back in those days were that uh, the matches would be in rounds. Like, it would be like five rounds of three minutes or or three rounds of five. Well, not three rounds of five minutes, but three or five minute rounds. Um, victory will be gained by, one pin, by two pinfalls, two submissions or one knockout. I remember William Regal explained on Twitter, I think, when if your hand is on the opponent when they hit the mat, then that means that the count won't start for a knockout. But if you've just sort of slammed, like if you've given them a body slam and you weren't in contact with them when they hit the mat, mm. that counts as a knockdown and that's when a knockout count will start. 
Um, so they got a full over on their own power effect. Well, not on yeah. their own power, but you can't. You haven't put forced them. Onto the actual them yeah, ground. you haven't physically forced them onto the mat. Just your actions have knocked them down to the mat. I think. So the rules are a little bit more elaborate, I suppose, and also just things like the referees uh, slapping the mat for a three count. They go one, two, three, and all those sort of uh, things. It's very fascinating to watch. Some of it is a bit jarring, but I think as time's gone on, it's become more and more of a novelty, and you may enjoy it for you enjoy it for its difference, really. And um, mm. it, it actually started to make a comeback, I think, when the indie wrestling scene kept on expanding, especially in America, and, and it was all the tape traders, and then suddenly people like Chris Hero were taking inspiration from guys like Johnny Saint and Mick McManus and uh, Rollable Roccos and, and Dave Finley's and all that, and, and Colt Cabana watched loads of Les Kellett and was inspired by his style and really took to the European style a lot, and he incorporates a lot of that still into his moves and his, and his wrestling. Nigel McGuinness brought in that to the Ring of Honor crowd, but then started to incorporate the Japanese Strong style and the US Indie style into his matches as well. Doug Williams really was probably the first one to get a following on the internet scene through using traditional British wrestling methods. I remember watching him for the first time, well I don't think it was the first time but watching him on a Ring of Honor tape against Jay Briscoe and he did this little move to escape from a, a sort of an ankle hold. It wasn't an ankle lock but it's no, you know it's like when they're on the mat on their back and the person above has got their ankle sort of holding on to it like um I don't know not like an arm like a wrist lock but on the ankle. So mm. I guess an ankle lock. And the way that Doug Williams turned himself around, got to his uh, hands, and then used his free leg to bring it down onto the knee of that leg that Jay Briscoe had, forcing that down, forcing Jay Briscoe towards him and then catching Jay Briscoe into a headlock. And it was such a simplistic move that the audience was going nuts for, you know? Usually they're going crazy for some... Tofei. Tiger flying space drop or, or whatever. Or die for the rope. And instead, or... what Doug Williams had them going crazy for was a, a, a an escape into a headlock. And so what was old became new again. And yeah. as time went on, I think what really helped them was that the British wrestlers that were growing up were getting to watch that British style and getting a sense of a British identity. And so that they weren't just copying the American wrestling that they watched on the TV. And I think there was sort of an impasse between the old school British wrestlers and the new school American inspired wrestlers. Yeah. Like your Jody Fleischers and your Johnny Storms and what have you. And now the ones that would come along now, like your Zack Sabre Juniors and your Jack Gallagher's and your um, Marty Skulls and the like, have been able to take both sides, like the best elements of both sides. And that British style has become a thing again. Yeah. I mean, you look at the greatest uh, international British success stories. They they sort of imbued a hybrid. The, your, your classic example is William Regal. Uh, you look at the way he wrestles against a variety of uh, American opponents. He sort of um, blends his British background, but has sprinklings of the American sport entertainment. And I dare say he... A little bit of American like Stalin in himself, but he he struck a chord. He found the balance to market himself to that specific audience. Sorry, yeah, absolutely. Um, so 
I think we need to sort of dive into it now. Um, and so, but like the British indie scene, if any of you have got any ideas, it is uh, continuing to it has continued to grow and grow over the past over this decade. Really, uh, there were brief flashes of a scene in the early aughts when the indie scene in America really started to take off, but it didn't go anywhere after the sort of the FWA collapsed and. Fighting Spirit magazine, I think, helped keep a flame alive as that became, took over Power Slam was like the definitive wrestling magazine out there. And Power Slam had never really dedicated any of its coverage, much of its coverage at all, to the wrestling British wrestling scene. The only no. picture I can recall is they ha- would have a one-page interview with a local British wrestler uh, called Daddy or Haystacks, um, where they just asked them some brief questions. But they never really, they never gave any shows any two or three or four-page spread coverage or anything like that no that was no, more tilted to the um, traditional big free markets yeah but also, to be fair though it did also cover japanese wrestling a fair amount as well yeah, yeah. Reje- like they gave more coverage to japanese wrestling than they did to british wrestling which is oh, definitely. understandable in a way because it was uh it was the bigger you know the, it was the second biggest market for wrestling at the time just like it is now um, but yeah, so so it was Fighting Spirit. I think started to help because they would do like two page or four page features on young British wrestlers coming up and everything. Um, and then you just started to get these little, almost like mini territories within themselves that started to get followings, like Progress in London, uh, Glasgow's ICW, Lancashire's uh, Preston City Wrestling. Um, in in the in Birmingham now you got Fight Club well not Birmingham but the West Midlands Wolverhampton Birmingham and all, and all that you've got Fight Club Pro uh you've got Real Pro Wrestling in London as well so it all the and more and more of these promotions started selling out thousand seat venues and then they like ICW went to the Hydro and the SEC SE, the SSE or the SSE Hydro yeah yeah and uh and it just got bigger and bigger that you couldn't ignore it, really. And I guess enough people became aware of it. And well, wrestling sort of went into the back into the mainstream. Almost the mainstream of wrestling fans, though, not the mainstream of of non wrestling fans. And this is yeah, where yeah, of all the sports separates from the achievements of all the other um, British promotions. But also, in I, think, I think some things that would have got attention is like when the BBC would put on a wrestling news story. Like, I remember when Daniel Bryan didn't win the Royal Rumble, the BBC did a feature on that on their website, and it was, like, amongst the top ten most read news stories on the BBC website. And so I think yeah. that, that people within the media world probably became more and more aware of this scene. And they have done a documentary on Fimbalor and on Seamus, the BBC, as well. And they've also done one on Grado and ICW. Yeah. Uh, they did two on Grado and ICW, and I think they also did one on Viper recently. Um, so it's just, and I've known they've done features about progress, little things for like BBC Sport and what have you. So just it's something that there are more. I think I think basically wrestling fans became more metropolitan. They started to be, and obviously what culture took off as well. Uh, that's a huge presence on YouTube, and from there comes People's Front of Judea and Judea People's Front with Cultaholic and Wrestle Talk TV and all that stuff. Um, and so it's there, and it, it's and that is what brings us now to World of Sport Wrestling. And so let's get started, let's get cracking, and let's recap the first episode. 
There was the pilot episode. Did you watch that, Simon? The uh, yes, I did. That did. took place New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. I can never I remember. I thought it was New Year's Day, but people online seem to be saying that it was New Year's Eve. Well, yeah. it was. It was either the 31st of December 2016 or January the 1st, 2017. And I watched about the first 15 minutes of it and turned it off. Um, I just... It just felt... I don't know. I just... I think I had other things I'd rather have watched at that time. You know? Not hungover, then. <laughs> well, no, I don't really drink. So uh, uh, that wouldn't have been a problem for me. Um, but it's also, probably, high. it's also probably why, it, why I wouldn't last that long on an ICW show or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> or at the darts. But what was, what was true was that they... Uh, what was interesting was that they seemed to want to build it around nostalgia. Mm. Because they built it around... Like, it opened and closed with Grado fighting Dave Mastiff. Yeah. And if you had two wrestlers on the scene now that maybe best exemplified the Big Daddy Giant Haystacks dynamic, it was those two. Yeah. And I think they were both mentioned as equivalents of those two. And there, and there was... were little uh, cutbacks throughout the episode to what yeah. World of Sport used to be as well. Yeah. yeah, interviews with people like Rollerball Rocco and um, Marty Jones, I think, and others. I think Johnny Saint did do an interview as well. Johnny Saint, okay, yeah. so now GM of WWE UK, which we might have to we'll have to mention that as well at some point. Um, and so it seems to be one that wanted to revel more in the nostalgia. And so it's very interesting when the first episode sh- starts that there's some that we hear the voice of Stu Bennett aka Wade Barrett, the former leader of the Nexus, uh winner of season 1 of NXT, uh pay-per-view main eventer in the WWE for a f- several times and mainstay of the mid card. I think he's like a five or six time intercontinental champion. Um and he is the authority figure within World of Sport Wrestling, which is referred to pretty much all the way as WOS Wrestling, I think. Um, and he is the voice, your first voice you hear over sort of a montage of very serious people taking themselves very seriously and preparing to go out there to do some serious things. And he says, The Jokers are gone, and only the most dedicated will be sh- shown on this new platform and so that seemed to me a declaration that they're not going to go down the um the the camp sort of style yeah yeah the yeah. big daddy giant haystacks and so when he makes his entrance and basically says the same thing again as his voiceover and this is something that's going to happen quite a few times uh, repetition of things we've already just heard or just seen within, <laughs> yeah. within a, I don't know, I don't want to say a condescending context, but um, I don't know. Uh, and he just says it again, the Jokers are gone, The the um, it's a new era, uh, gone are the Jokers, the clowns, and the professional buffoons. And with that, Grado makes entrance. <laughs> That's deliberate, obviously. And so Grado's there with the World of Sport Championship belt that he won after losing it. To, like him and Dave Mastiff were the two members of a two-man tournament to decide who would be the first World of Sport Champion. Mastiff won that thanks to interference from Shah Samuels and someone else. I think I think it was Rampage. Yeah, I think it was Rampage with um, Dave Mastiff at that time. And 
Grado comes out with the belt, so they're going to keep the lineage. They're acknowledging that pilot's episode. I thought they might have ignored it, to be honest with you. Well, you skipped a little bit there, because Mastiff won at the start of the episode. Yeah, yeah, Obviously, Grado won at the end. That's why I said it was like bookend. I think Grado, was it a battle royal at the end, or something like that? No, I think it was a straight rematch. They just did, they just had Mastiff versus Grado, a ladder match, and then Mastiff versus Grado again. No, they had a woman's match with Viper and... It wasn't an, either of the... Yeah, it, I can't remember the other uh, participant. It was Viper and someone else. Mm. Oh, it was a singles match? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so Grado's held that belt for about 600 days or something at this point and uh, hasn't had to defend it once. And Stu Bennett's like, well, we're going to have to do something about that. Uh, Grado makes... A, the thing about Grado is that he is he gets the performance side of it. He gets the getting people involved. He works with the crowd. He like he interacts with the little kid in the front row who does not seem to care much for Grado, at least <laughs> at the start of this episode. It's it's always remind it reminded me of, and I think that's probably where the inspiration comes from, when he gives him his red baseball cap. Uh it's like when Bret Hart used to give sunglasses to kids in the front row, and oftentimes the kids would be kind of emotionless. And uh, I think it's just maybe they're frozen in place or something like that. But it's always... Uh, More so in Brett's case than in Grado's. Yeah. But I get your point. But I remember at WrestleMania 10 he did that. And the kid sort of then stuck his tongue out. And uh, Jerry Lawler said, Ah, you must be an Owen Hart fan. <laughs> 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 um, so, yeah, I think... Um, so, it's obvious that Stu Bennett is a heel-favouring authority figure. So, we're just doing that again straight away. And he says that Grado will have to defend that belt at the end of the show against the winner of a five-man elimination match. And he introduces the five participants of this match, which are Rampage, formerly Rampage Brown, but for the case of this show, he's down to being Rampage, Shah Samuels, Justin Sizem, Adam Maxted, and Crater. Uh, I was aware of Rampage. I was aware of Samuels. I thought I might have recognised Crater, but it's a new gimmick uh, for a guy. Well, I thought he might have been a guy I'd seen called the Incredible Bulk, but it's not him. It's someone else. <laughs> Incredible Bulk. Yeah. Um, maybe that's maybe that wasn't what he was called. I don't know. That's, maybe I made that up in my mind. But uh, I'd seen him at a couple of Edinburgh Fringe wrestling shows that they put on at the Pleasance. Um, but anyway. Those two I recognised. Adam Mac- uh, Shars, uh, Justin Sizem uh, is just an incredibly ripped-looking dude who yeah. wears a gladiator cape. Shah Samuels has suspend like braces on his trunk. Seems to behave a bit like a Cockney wide boy, and he's got on the butt of his trunks the London Underground logo. Mm. Uh, Rampage is just kind of your mean. Big Wasn't he the East End Butcher or something like that, Shah Samuels? That makes sense, but they would never called him that on the show. Yeah. Uh, Adam so you'd Max... have like a bloody meat cleaver on his trunks in the one-off special, if memory serves oh, okay. me correctly. Alright, I'll take your word for that. Um, Adam Maxted, my first thoughts when I saw him was he would not look out of place on Love Island. And it turns out, <laughs> it turns out he was on he Love was Island. He was on Love Island, which is a show I've never... I don't know if you were forced to watch that, Simon, but uh, uh, no, you no. voluntarily watch. No, this is not a Love Island household in which I reside. Safe we'll, to say. We will, we will get back to Love Island at some point in this. Um, but the, and uh, I think I've covered all of them. But the big problem, the first big problem I had, 
and this is something that's going to be the recurring theme. The problem, the criticism pretty much everyone has of these shows are the production values. All of these guys made an entrance on the ramp, one after the other after the other. None of them were given little name subtitles. All you had to go by was how Wade Barrett pronounced, uh, Stu Bennett pronounced them. Mm. And some of them are weird names. Justin Sizem. I I couldn't comprehend what that name was at first. I, I, I think I put... When I when I wrote it up, I think I put Sizer or something like that. Like S-I-Z-E-R. But it turns out it's S-Y-S-U-M. Um, Sizem. Sizem, yes. But that's the thing. Sounds like, like an element we've not discovered yeah. yet. Yeah, and it's just five new characters, no time to establish who they are, and suddenly they're having a match and we're meant to care. And it's a five-way elimination match. If someone's just watched World of Sport Wrestling until 88, and this is the first time they've seen British wrestling, suddenly from your usual singles and tag team matches, you've got five people in the ring at the same time under elimination rules. Um, Yeah, but I, I, I don't... I think wrestling... People know that wrestling is now involved in multi-man matches. I don't, I don't people, think that would have been no, a jarring see, thing. This is the thing, though, Simon. They, this is the fundamental problem we're going to have with this show. For this show to be a success, the average ratings for this time slot are around 1 to 1.15 million. So they need to get 1 to 1.5 million to make this show a success. They need to get more than that to make it a massive success that means it will go on for years to come. There are obviously not that many wrestling fans in this country. I think if you take it like, what is it? Raw gets 20,000 viewers or something when it's on. I think... It's higher than that, but not much higher. Yeah, when TNA was on at its peak, maybe it was getting like 100,000 viewers on Challenge. I don't know. Yeah. When they put on live shows, they they do okay. Well, they do well. They They come here twice a year now. But it looks... I, I haven't been to one of those shows, but you've been to a live event. Like, how many people would you say fit into the arenas that you went to for, like, live shows and... Uh, for non... Smackdowns. For televised ones, they always sell out. For non-televised ones, there, there, there are gaps. There are always gaps. Like, house shows aren't sellouts by any stretch of the imagination. So I think if we're being generous, then if you ask someone, are you a fan of wrestling? Do you watch wrestling with any sort of regularity? And let's say by regularity you watch... One show every other week. Like, if you watch Raw at least once every other week, I would count you as a wrestling fan. I would put an estimate there's maybe 300,000 wrestling fans in this country. Maybe at a stretch 500,000. Would you Mm. disagree with that? Would you agree with that? Uh, I would say it's a higher figure, but in terms of ones that regularly consume the content, you're probably not too far off. There are many people that like just catch highlights on YouTube and stuff like that. I don't think we're taking those into account with TV figures and such. But broad with broad brushstrokes, I think you're right. Mm. So they need to double that number at least. Yeah. So you've got to explain wrestling to people. That's what you got to do. You have to explain wrestling, and you have to. But what what is also got great potential is that you can do all of the classic wrestling storylines, and you can tell them for basically the first time. You can True. re-educate people. You can make DQ and countouts and things like that not feel like it's screwy finishes, and fans these new fans might be able to accept it. 
you can do these classic storylines and, and, and classic heel turns and, and what have you, and it's brand new to an audience. But I just don't think a five-way elimination match is going to be the best way to start it off. And the the finishes of each of the falls were pretty crazy as well. Like, uh, the first thing, the first decision that happens on a British wrestling match is Crater gets disqualified, disqualified. for not releasing a hold in the ropes on the five count. I don't think he was even strangling his opponent. He, he sort was just... of was, but sort of wasn't. It was yeah. sort of like leaning on him. The rope was more in the chest than the yeah. throat. And so that's what happens. Crater sort of beats up everyone, but then gets disqualified, and then he beats up everyone a little bit more before <laughs> leaving. So you're establishing he's like the giant... If there is a giant Haystacks monster heel, it's this guy, it's Crater. Him. And he is big. He's about 400 pounds, I think. And looks like he's about 6 foot 4, 6 foot 3, 6 foot 5, maybe. In the mid-six region, and yeah. It's, and it's that classic old... Haystacks Calhoun, giant haystack sort of size. He's not built like a Braun Strowman. He is built like a a giant haystacks. As wide as he is tall, almost. Yeah, yeah. There's no definition. There's no real muscle mass there. Yeah. So I don't. He's not he sculpted. Miss... I think. I think is the no, fairest. I don't get the sense yet. Maybe I'm wrong that he's much of an athlete himself, but he's just big. And he does what a big guy's supposed to do. But that's the sort of thing that will probably appeal to a mainstream audience. When you think of wrestling, you probably do think of people... Especially if you're British, you do think of Giant Haystacks and, and Big Daddy, first and foremost. Yeah, that's I think like he's... a um, of a wrestler. So, I think he's what will term... Well, what I term, at least, to be like a bridging character. Mm. Because uh, I get your point, obviously, about the fact that five-person matches weren't a thing in like the old world of sport. And for them, in their minds, I think, to succeed, they've got to successfully bridge the nostalgic gap mm. whilst presenting a new product. And I think one of the ways they're going to do it is through like your big uh, characters and your stereotypical fan favourites. So yeah. your crater, your grado, mm. things of that nature. But I also think that obviously the British style of wrestling was what appealed to a lot of British people when they watched World of Sport. They liked that... So they like the Big Daddy and, and and Giant Haystacks characters, but they also obviously liked the Mick McManuses and the and the and that British style that was a bit more the people that had forearm tattoos and were a bit no nonsense and and looked like they could take you and the and the wrestling style was very when you watch it there's a real snap and a lock and a and a and a, and a pace a crispness and a crispness that the American wrestling never really had when they put in a headlock they put in a headlock yeah. <laughs> and, and you can see no... the colour change on the face yeah and the knockdowns and the knockouts and there's not the, the selling is of a more realistic nature I would say it's presented as a sport more than the American version which was the entertainment side of things mm. and it is interesting that this show does use the phrase sports entertainment quite frequently especially in sort of their public service announcements at the start of uh, yeah the I think segments. I think that's because, through no fault of World of Sports, the veil has been somewhat lifted in in the years between its incarnation. Well, that veil was lifted in British wrestling at the time. There was a a figure, I can't remember his name, that had a big falling out with Big Daddy, and he wrote an expose called You Grunt, I'll Groan. Or maybe that was Jackie Palo that explained the intricacies of wrestling. So it wasn't that British wrestling, the the people of Britain didn't know that that wrestling was fake. Yeah. 
Um, but but although, yeah, they didn't they didn't have breaking ground. They didn't have they didn't they didn't have reality they, TV as a whole. They didn't no. have this idea that TV was as staged as much as it is now. I think it's also maybe that like it's kind of like how some people want to watch Coronation Street and EastEnders, but they wouldn't watch something like Star Wars because they think that's silly. <laughs> I think that's I think that's maybe a common thing with British people, and and we quite like our art and our entertainment to be a, maybe a little bit more grounded than the uh, more fantastical elements of American shows. Do you know what I mean? Outside of Doctor Who, we basically didn't have, you know, it's like, when you name the big British sick sci-fis and, and high concept shows, there's like Doctor Who, Red Dwarf, Blake Seven. The Prisoner? Or was The Prisoner the American? Prisoner, yeah, I guess. But you know what I mean? The, the, the great British dramas and that are usually like Costume dramas, historical dramas, uh, cop shows, and oh, yeah, soap yeah. operas. You yeah, know you had I mean? your Moors, your Prime Suspects, your various incarnations yeah. of Jane Austen. Yeah, so that razzmatazz and American pageantry that the WWE offered probably put off a lot of people who liked World of Sport Wrestling, and then they watched the American stuff and they thought it was too silly and too... Cr- kind of like how there were those Southern wrestling fans of the WCW NWA style... That, like, that never came back when WCW left. Oh, well, you know, it's it's different strokes for different folks. I think you're right in terms of, like, Britishness. So that's why I'm saying, like, trying to get that nostalgia audience may be a failure. Yeah, I mean, well, because I think, I think TV, you're right, I think TV audiences have changed primarily. I think, but I think they know, um, especially with the percentage of the population that's older as well, that they want, they want to bridge it successfully. This is, as I say, why they go back to characters like Crater and Grado, who are very, are very eighties kitsch wrestler styles, rather than like yeah. the modern characters you see in different uh, promotions. Um, I don't know. I think Grado is quite a modern character in a way, that a sort of cheeky Scottish rap scallion. Sort of a modern. Oh wow! I know what you mean. He wouldn't look out of place in the Beano. Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't look out of place in. He wouldn't have looked out of place in World of Sport either. He's a bit modern panto esque. Well, his style is probably not good enough or athletic enough to to get in the ring with a, you know, Johnny Saint and be able to go with him. Although I don't want to denigrate Grado's wrestling. When when we get to his match later, we'll get back to it. Um. So yeah, let's go back to the match quickly. So we're down to Sizem, Rampage, Shah Samuels, and uh, Maxted. Oh, yeah, also, Adam Maxted was really the one in this match to show a personality. I remember whilst Crater was beating up everyone, he suddenly came into the ring, did a pose to the cameras, played up his... And so there was that... So you knew what he was. That's yeah. an egotistical, heavily tanned, tattooed guy who was on Love Island. He's basically... Yeah. People who would hate Love Island and all those sort of... The only way Zessix, those people, this is a natural heel to have. Even people who watch those shows probably hate those people in a way. Yeah. So Adam Maxted on the first episode was the only guy that didn't get time on the microphone that I got a sense of what his character was, really. I'd agree with that as well. Uh but yeah, he then gets eliminated soon after. But first Char Samuels and Rampage are working together on Justin Sizem for the majority of this match, although I don't recall in commentary the commentators by the way are Alex Shane, SoCal Val and uh, Stu Bennett. Stu Bennett. Um I don't recall them mentioning that they were partners at that stage. That they just seemed to be. No, no, there was no, um, no. indication, no real indication of that. 
So it was like it was a, a, a as far as you could tell within the context of the match, it was like the two more more heelish guys. But again, they didn't do much in the way of cheating or anything like that to make you think they're heels. Just that they're a bit, frankly, less attractive and <laughs> you know, and 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 maybe a bit rougher on the way that they wrestled. But anyway, so they've been beating up Justin Sizem. Uh, but Sizem is able to duck a clothesline from Rampage. No, 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 he ducks a Shah Samuels clothesline that knocks Rampage down, and in the confusion, it's your classic raw finish. He rolls up Shah Samuels for a three count, so Samuels is out, so it's down to Rampage, Maxted, and Sizem. Uh, Rampage continues to beat on Sizem for a while, but then he does the classic charging him in the corner. Sizem moves out of the way, he goes shoulder first into the post, and goes out the ring. But the ref doesn't start counting him out. Uh, Sizem and Maxted then have a pretty good uh, exchange in the ring. Just the usual runnings of the ropes. Leapfrogs, drop downs, uh, drop kicks to both men. There were a lot of drop kicks in these two shows, I yeah. noticed. That was like classic 80s WWF where everyone's got a drop kick or something. And that's not a, that's not a denigration. That's fine. A drop kick's a very effective move. Um, Kazuchika Okada is... Drop kick is one of my favourite moves in all of wrestling right now. But, so, you know, you can have too much of the same thing. Though. You can. That was the thing as time went on. There were a lot of drop kicks and there were a lot of back, back suplexes, I noticed, throughout the whole shows. Um, it seemed like a match didn't go by without that. But anyway, um, Sizem knocks Maxted out of the ring and then he goes to do a suicide dive to the outside. Unfortunately, oh, <laughs> clips his feet on the top rope. I think it was... Yeah, I'm not sure if it was just the one... For, I, or something like that. Either way, he ends up in a hell of a mess. Yeah, he very nearly lands on his head, and he doesn't get much on Maxted. And I'm they fairly chose... sure he actually did land somewhat on his head, not square off. Oh, Maxted but... sort of caught him a little bit. I think he maybe landed more towards his shoulder and everything. Like you know, we didn't break his neck, and that's yeah. something that we can all be thankful for. But his face definitely did bounce off the floor. I remember that. Yeah, is it is weird that a botch was on a show. 20 uh, like months after it was actually made <laughs> and um yeah and no camera but... angle was utilized to maybe no quick cut and boy we're going to talk about the camera work and the cuts in this show to the commentators credit on this though they did use this to emphasize that high risk is just that it doesn't always pay off yes but the problem is that it does pay off because maxted even though he maybe got a hand to the shoulder in that move <laughs> did end up being knocked down and not being able to answer the 10 count from the ref, whereas Sizem, who did get hurt from that move, yeah. was able to roll back into the ring at the 9 counts. What I don't get about this is um, that count-out is on in like a multi-person match. This isn't something I've typically seen myself in like the, the wrestling I watch. Well, the WWE did have that at the start of introducing triple threat matches and the like. I remember that The Rock had an Intercontinental Championship match with um, X-Pac and Triple H in 98 for the Intercontinental title. And Triple H and X-Pac ended up fighting each other for ages. The Rock left the ring, got it hold on to the belt. So they were sort of trying to formulate the rules as they went along. And now, I think when it's a four-way match and a triple threat match, now when it's a four-way match or a triple threat match on WWE, um... They very often have, uh, they, they say it's like no disqualification. Yeah, because who does a disqualification benefit? I think because it's elimination, you can do that. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, 
just basically, I don't understand the rules of these matches yet. I don't understand the rules the problem, of the world of Sport in a sort of sense as well, because as the count is happening and um, Sison gets back into the ring, they roll, um, Charles Samuels rolls Rampage back into the ring on the count of nine. So we sort of get, on the first match back, we don't get a clean finish. Do you think that's a uh, a bit of an issue? Yeah, and it's a dumb finish as well. It makes the referee look like an idiot. Rampage had obviously been out of the ring for more than a ten count if he just got rolled into the ring. So if the ref had started a count on Rampage at any point during the time that it was only Sizer and um, Sizer and uh, Maxted in the ring then Rampage yeah. would have been counted out, so the ref could have said that, you know. Another reason why count-outs in multi-man matches aren't a good idea, because that's typically where the guy bails out to let the other two pick up the slack. Mm. And if he's counted out in the process, you're just going to, like, disrupt the tempo of what what the performers are really used to. Yeah, so again, it's just one of those things that I think, again, a non-wrestling fan watching that will be baffled by those rules. I think everyone has an idea of what a wrestling match is. Two people or four people, if it's a tag team match, have a match. You pin them. Maybe they're aware of submissions. They they probably know that through UFC. Um, and and that's it. So all these rules about count outs and disqualifications for five counts in the ropes. I don't see how people would know that automatically. Yeah, I mean DQs maybe a little bit more because if you're ignoring the referee's instruction in any combat sport, you're at risk of disqualification. I think this was a very poorly booked first match to put on, and I can't see how it helps matters. But let's—we've been talking quite a lot about this. Let's go on to the next one. So the next one we've got is the international dream match between Will Ospreay and British Bulldog Junior which is Harry Smith, a.k.a. D.H. Smith, a.k.a. David Hart Smith, a.k.a. Davy Boy Smith Jr., as he's known now in New Japan. And they just have a standard collection of moves match between two very good wrestlers who can do all these moves very well. And this was really where... So I think this is the one to talk about the camera work and the editing. Just before we get onto that... Mm. Uh, I do think one of the tricks they missed with an international dream match, and maybe this wasn't in their budget to do, is they told us it's an international dream match. How are casual fans meant to know that without seeing what what these guys can do beforehand? I feel like a clip package would have worked well, better here. Yeah, we'll talk You've about You've got that copyright limitations. Guess, but, but Yeah, show, don't tell. That's the key rule to these things, uh, to telling any audience anything. You show them why they're international superstars. You don't tell them that they're international superstars. No, telling an audience something holds a and lot also, less value. this is where you put in an emphasis on match quality, but you're not giving these guys the time to have the best match that they can, nor are you giving either of them the opponent to have their best match. The best guy to get a match out, an amazing match out of Will Ospreay is not David Boy Smith Jr., and the best guy to get a match out of Davy Boy Smith Jr. is probably not Will Ospreay. Maybe more Will Ospreay than the other way around. Mm. So they, had, but, um, they, they they did a match where they did every move right. Oh yeah, and yeah. they did a lot of moves. And I'm not I'm not one of those people that thinks Will Ospreay doesn't know how to do psychology or anything like that. I think that's just flat out wrong. He does know how to do psychology. There was psychology to those two amazing matches with Ricochet. It was just a different type of psychology to what you're used to so 
Yeah, let's get on to... So the match was fine. You know, I give it like a three out of five. It was good for what it was. But it was very obviously edited. It was very obviously cut down. And the crowd noises were bothering me. So we'll we'll, we'll get into that later when we sort of sum up the show, I suppose. But do you have any other further notes into the match itself? British Bulldog Jr. won with a second rope power slam. So it would look like, if I were to guess he might be the key figure going on into the rest of this series over Will Ospreay. Believe potentially, possibly more readily available. And, and I think won. in World of Sports size, a bigger name. Yes, well, calling him British Bulldog Jr. was very deliberate. Yeah. Because I think I, a lot I, of people who don't know much about wrestling or maybe stopped watching wrestling when they were in the early 90s when it was that first boom of the WWF in this country. Um, yeah. You know, maybe they even went to SummerSlam 92 at Wembley Stadium when they were 10. But then they just lost interest around 93, 94 and never watched it again, particularly. They might have been aware of the Attitude Era. But British Bulldog is one of the names they would know. When I was a kid growing up at that boom time, when I got the WF lunchbox, it was Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior and British Bulldog. When WWF did their shows at the Royal Albert Hall and Wembley Stadium, they were main evented and UK Rampage. They were main evented by British Bulldog matches. Yeah, I think... I do think, uh, obviously, they're going to try and obviously cash in on nostalgia value. Why wouldn't you? Um, One interesting thing I'd like to say is it looked like Osprey fell to a super finisher because Davey Boy Smith did go for the power slam uh, in the ring a few times during the match. And it looked like it was while he got him on the second rope, that was enough to put him away. So I do think maybe they'll use Osprey again. How do you know that's a super finisher if you've never seen him finish the match with his regular finisher? Well, Well, obviously, the crowd doesn't know that. But the commentary um, did set up the fact that the power slam was going to be like his special, mo- his finishing move, the, or his special, as they call it you sometimes. You've heard of the phrase power slam, but you haven't necessarily seen the power slam. Yeah, I know. I've got to sort of detach myself from knowing what a power slam is, I guess, to yeah. like get the general You've got viewpoint. to assume no prior knowledge, I think, when you make this show. And you have to not make it a. We'll we'll get into this as we get later on, but that was that was. I just wanted to speed through the rest of the show, really. Um, then we had. Well, they seem to want to. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, yeah. So then we have a tag team title tournament match. There's going to be an eight team knockout tournament that you would assume it's one match per show, and if it's a ten series, ten show series, then we'll probably get the final. Right. So nine or ten. Eight or nine or ten of the show. And so we have Kip Sabian and Yeston Reese against Martin Kirby and Joe Hendry. Yeah. Now, one quick presentation point here. When we see the bracket, we only see the teams that are competing straight away. Mm. We don't see the other teams in the bracket. What What do you make of that? Well, I can understand why they did that. They just don't need to... A person doesn't need to see a visual of suddenly 16 wrestlers on screen at one time. I can understand why they did that. I've got Do you no think they did that to keep things simple and I not complicate so. yeah. who's who's that, who's this? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I don't think okay. you needed to have the brackets because if you don't, if you're just seeing names and faces that don't have any connection, although they assume that you'll care with the, when they actually wrestle. I, I've no problem with that side of the presentation, and I like the fact that we got an interview with Yestin Reese and Kip Sabian, gave them a chance to bring across their characters. Uh, that was. Basically, the smaller man, the bigger man dynamic. The mouthy, shorter guy with the muscle behind him to back him up and so he can get away with what he says. Sure, Michaels and Diesel kind sure of Sure, Michaels and Diesel. If they'd been a heel act, Enzo and Big Cass, 
um, Miz and Big Show. Uh, if they have Jericho worked, and Big Show, Jericho and Big Show. Um, yeah, uh, Power and Glory. I think will probably be the best example of that. Actually, in insofar as what they seem to be presented as, where Sabian's sort of more of a high flyer, but technically gifted. And Reese is there to do the power moves. Uh, Reese is about six foot four by the looks of it, muscular guy. I've, I actually did see him live at one of those Edinburgh Fringe shows. He gave a comedian a power bomb. It was one of the nastiest looking things I've ever seen in my life. It did not go completely <laughs> right, right, and the comedian got a concussion, and then came out and wrestled for about half an hour afterwards. He was he's as hardcore as Mick Foley. That guy was <laughs> hardcore or stupid. Yeah, the one what, half of one six, half a dozen of one. Half of one six, of the, yeah. Uh, to really mix, mix, yeah, uh, to really mess up that metaphor. Um, we both got and that to up. mess up, mess up that metaphor. Um, so yeah, then they go out and they have a match with Joe Hendry and Martin Kirby. Joe Hendry is another guy that I could see really catching on with the mainstream audiences. If you mm. were to take from this show so far, I could see Crater becoming a a deal with audiences. I could see Adam Maxstead becoming a big deal. And Joe Hendry is easily one of the most TV-ready personalities on the show. And Grado as well. He's probably the most comfortable TV-friendly performer I've seen so well, far. Well, he has done... I mean, not not on actual uh, television, but obviously he's done internet television with What Culture Pro Wrestling. So yeah. And obviously he's been involved in ICW as well. And so. he's very popular on YouTube with all of those entrance videos. He became popular not through wrestling. He became popular through his personality. I could see Vince McMahon looking at that gimmick of him coming up with a new entrance theme every week. The only problem you got is rights issues if you're doing parody songs. And it's pretty similar to what Elias is doing in a sense at the moment. Yeah, but there's a kitschiness and a, and a I don't know. It's, it's slightly different, but I get where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, and he comes out and he gets the people waving their hands in the air uh, as if they're indifferent to how other people see them. And <laughs> I mean, the audience is very like it's very clearly like a sign comes up saying cheer, a sign comes up saying boo. Game show. It's yeah. a very game show. But I can see Joe Hendry getting people to do that, even if they weren't prompted to. Prompted to. He has that forceful personality. He can get. He's like. He's almost like a Butlins entertainer or something like that. <laughs> you know he's a gold coat over rather than a red coat. Well, yeah. He wears the yeah the cheese. How would you know? Jacket. How do you know about Butlins entertainers? You didn't go to Butlins. You're aware of the culture. I went. Like I said, I went to the cheap, <laughs> I went to the cheap knockoff ones. I got the people who failed their butlins auditions and ended up there instead uh, to get that in. yeah all right beat me down with your snobbery um <laughs> hyacinth bouquet um i don't so yeah joe hendry showed personality and they had a this was a decent little tag team match that i think a lot of wrestlers now really know how to work to the set down form they're like observers of the art form in a way like they're they're fans of the genre and it's Mm. almost like tag team matches now thanks to people like the revival it's almost like a rekindling of that it's almost like how we have all these auteurs making horror films because they get the horror they're fans of the horror genre it's almost like you get these people that are fans of the tag team genre and want to do it like they've been educated through the the psychology videos and the interviews and the Edge and Christian podcasts and everything, and they're trying yeah. to show that they know how to do it. 
So you have the double team moves and the working in the corner and, and, and that. But here's another problem. This match we get a heel turn. Where Martin Kirby does the old... Of all people, Martin Kirby. I don't know what that means. I've not watched... Um, whenever I've seen him, it, like he's always been like a baby... Well, whenever I saw him in What Culture Pro Wrestling, yeah. he was always like the baby face against like the authority okay. kind of thing. I once saw broken Matt Hardy come to Martin Kirby's rescue. Okay. Uh, so he's, a a mascot, he's quite a small guy. He looks like yeah. five foot six, maybe. He's in great shape, and he's obviously a good athlete. But uh, Great talent as well. Yeah, great I'll take talent. your word for it, but we didn't get really enough time to see that in this match. Yeah. And basically, he gets, he gets taunted by one of the guys. They uh, So he moves towards sort of the middle of the ring, on the a- middle of the apron. Joe Hendry gets pushed into him. That sends him into the barricades, that old sort of Bret Hart, Owen Hart, Survivor Series 93 spot. Um, and so Martin Kirby is so incensed that Joe Hendry bumped into him that when Hendry finally makes it to his corner for the hot tag, uh, Kirby abandons him a la... Sid Justice abandoning Hulk Hogan in 92. Um, all those sort of uh, classic tag team heel. Uh, Rick Martel abandoning Tito Santana at WrestleMania 5. A cla- another, like, it's one of those classic moves that a non-wrestling fan, it's the first time they see it. Yeah. So if you'd have spent weeks and weeks building up the fact that Kirby and Hendry were friends and partners and a really good tag team, say if they'd have won the quarterfinals and the semifinals and reached the final and then Kirby turned on Hendry, you'd have given a shit. Uh, I think it made, in a casual fan's eyes, it made less sense. I think if you look at it from a casual perspective, I think it makes more sense to do it early doors. But... No, I think no. I disagree with that. It might make more sense if they don't care about each other as a teammates. If they're like a put together team, which they were. But, but we didn't get any interviews. We didn't get any promos. We didn't get any suggestions that that was the case. You would have assumed if they're a tag team in a tag team tournament, they must have been a tag team before this show started. Why would you have made that assumption? Because they've been put into a tag team tournament. You don't go into a doubles tent. I'm assuming if I watched Wimbledon that the people that have been put in the doubles tournament have worked together as a doubles team before. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. I I see where you're coming from in that perspective. I'm just saying, the reason that a heel turn works is if you know and know them as a team beforehand. If If the first time the Rockers appeared on TV... Had it been in 1988 and Shawn Michaels had turned on Master Gennetti in that first match, you wouldn't have cared for them to have a feud afterwards, which is obviously what they want to set up. You wouldn't have cared. It depends. It depends how you come across. You wouldn't have cared as much. Um, but I'm again, shocked you're defending this booking decision. <laughs> I really. No, I'm, just, I'm just saying with the look. You don't have the luxury of time. You don't have the luxury of a build-up. You have ten episodes. Used. Ten episodes gives you time to tell a story from start to finish. It depends what kind of story you want to tell. I don't like. Know. I think I really clearly. think you're clutching at straws there, Simon. I'm shocked you're not annoyed at this. No, well, I, I just think it makes sense because obviously the path that they're going to lead to, the, what they wanted, didn't involve those two being Why in the tag division. A non-wrestling fan give a shit. Well, because there's because. Joe Henry was betrayed, ultimately. that That's where it comes you from. You don't know the scale of that betrayal. The scale of the betrayal will become apparent in due course. But you make... Oh, I, I'm shocked I'm having to argue about this. This is just... 
this is ridiculous to me that you're arguing about this. It's I'm trying to think of like an equivalent on a TV show. It'd be like look, it would be like Lizzie Bennett falling in love with Mister Darcy, ten minutes into the first episode of Pride and Prejudice. You get to that point over a story being told. Uh, is is that a bad thing? Is that a, I, it's a I terrible don't... thing? She didn't fall in love with Mr. Darcy until the final episode because she hated him to begin with. I've never seen the I've never seen a TV show of the TV adaptation or read the book, so you, you gave them time. You might as well be speaking Look, Spanish. You, what you're reaching is the final point of that story or that point of that storyline, which is either her coming to despise Mr. Darcy and then falling in love with Mr. Darcy over time. They took it's like condensing eighty percent of that story into the first few minutes of the episode and then expecting people to care about the next 20% for the next however long. Well, it isn't the next 20%, is it? This is like the first we 20%. We don't know. Based on the second episode, we might have already had that storyline finish. But we'll cross that well, bridge when we get to paying attention it. in the second episode, you know that isn't the case. But we'll, we'll touch on that later. All right. Well, well, we'll agree to disagree, but I'm shocked we've had to do that. <laughs> so... Sabian and Reese, I will say, look like a good tag team. The dynamic of the big guy and the smaller guy, and the smaller guy's the cocky guy that does all the talking, and the bigger guy's the guy that maybe bails him out occasionally. Win the match. They've got some good ta- double tag team moves, and they'll be they'll be a good feature in the tournament. And they could you could build a tag division around them. I think. And it further enhances Henry's babyface character. The fact that he's having to fight in a handicap. Yeah, situation. he did good. He did good stuff within that match. Yeah. Okay. So then we move on to our main event, which is the three-way match between Greedo, just Grado, Justin Sizem, and Rampage. And now suddenly, it's first four wins of the match. Now I don't recall them actually explaining that to people. So when the first no, four there happens, was no like, surely you're thinking, oh, okay, so in these matches you go on until there's only two left, and then the winner of that wins the match. Did the, didn't, the, didn't the pre-match announcer say it was for one fall? I can't recall, but I'm just saying again. These are things you can't expect people to necessarily pay attention to. Every they might have just gone out and got a cup of tea and then come back in. That's why I think like you put you put in this first event, you put two multi-man matches, which are, to someone that's never watched wrestling but has the basic knowledge of wrestling, that's something they didn't even ma- maybe know existed. Well, yeah, especially with like. The old school world of sport, again, bridging the gap kind of thing. I don't think there was multi man involved in those. But on the flip side, you, you've got to sort of set your table. Um, they, they've elected to try and set a lot of the table in the first episode. Whether that's the right decision or not, time will tell. But to, do, to set the table, you're going to need more than just four singles matches to try and get as many like bases set. Mm for your narrative threads to go through. Yeah. So the match is perfectly fine. It's again, just kind of fit tab A into block B. And... It's one heel versus two baby faces yeah, in a triple threat, which is nice never thing. easy. Um, but again, you didn't really know that that was a heel particularly. Like I said, he's just a mean, nasty bruiser, but he's not, he never does anything dastardly or villainous in the match that I can recall. Also, when he, no. makes, when Rampage Except makes his for... entrance, he's suddenly accompanied by Shah Samuels and a guy called CJ Banks. Yeah, and there's no explanation for CJ Banks at yeah, all. You're no right. No explanation there. whatsoever. We don't know who he is. We don't know why he's with um, Rampage. We don't know why they're heels. We don't know what their attitude is. We don't know what their methods are. We don't know anything. Yeah. 
I, I mean, the, the the audience from both a uh, in-ring and a TV perspective are expected to hate Rampage because he didn't deserve to be in the main event, I think is what the, the story that they're trying to tell is. But that's just one thing. I mean, we didn't even know if he had asked Shah to like roll him into the ring or that was like a tacit agreement. Uh, it was very That's why it was quite confusing at the time. What, yeah. Why is Shah rolling Rampage into the yeah. ring? Yeah. So it seems like they've got some sort of partnership going on. But then those two don't get involved in any of this match that I can remember. No. They didn't interfere on Rampage's behalf. Rampage did not... They didn't even do a distraction spot. Rampage did not cheat in this match. He used his craftiness to win at the end. Spoiler warning. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the, the, the crux of the match is Rampage uh, is uh, Grado and Sizem trying to keep Rampage out of it, really, so they can get on with the sort of fair play, decency of, of face versus face. Uh, it played up Sizem's athleticism and Grado being a bit more playful with it. But Grado does get some moves in. They point out that Grado can wrestle. It's just that he obviously has physical limitations. And this is what I will say about Grado. He works really well within his limitations. He can't do a springboard move, but he can run the aprons and do a cannonball into people on the outside. And that looks good. It's a, it's yeah, a, and he sets got... his table so he doesn't have to do a springboard move. His yeah. character doesn't need springboard moves. To him, that's like that's as far as the Grado. That's the Grado character pushing himself to his physical limitations, and it's effective because you know, frankly, he's got a bit of weight on him, um, and so he can take them both out. But it's it's almost a relatable amount of weight in a way to get to <laughs> Crater's size. You have to kind of dedicate yourself. Whereas oh, we yeah. can all very much easily look like Grado after, you know, uh, not enough trips to the gym and maybe... Uh, too many trips to Domino's. Yeah, or, or just a few more, a few too many liquid calories in your system and suddenly you're in your 30s and your metabolism doesn't quite work like it used to. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it's and Grado's timing's really good as well. There's a, mo- there's a moment in it where uh, Sizem goes for a discus lariat on uh, Rampage and Grado catches him mid-move with his wee boot move and the timing on that was perfect so he has the in-ring awareness and the, and the timing and the and the movements to offset his athletic not failures because you know mm. he, he's got he's got an internal rhythm that means that he can like it's, when you watch botch mania and you suddenly see someone who doesn't have any athletic abilities whatsoever trying to do just the most basic things of running across the ropes or whatever he knows sort of what strides you have to move, what places you have to be, what pace you have to go at to ma- have a good match. So he can wrestle. He can do the things that make a wrestler look like a wrestler in the ring compared to someone who's never wrestled before and think, you know, compared to Ed Balls suddenly yeah. being in a wrestling match. It's all, okay, the, okay. it's all the difference between how Lawrence Taylor can do stuff in the ring that can look not look out of place in the ring compared to say Seth Green. Oh god. Do you know what I mean when a celebrity yeah, gets yeah. involved? Like I remember yeah, yeah. So that's the best way I can try to describe it. Um So yeah, that's I'm I'm a fan of Grado, but I don't think he needed the championship and I think that the people knew that. And so it doesn't help that they've had three title matches, three new champions. But they do sort of rectify that with the second episode. And I think Grado's maybe going to be more of like a show mascot Santino Morella sort of figure rather than a... I think he's going to be Cat Weasel or Les Kellett rather than Big Daddy. 
I I don't know. I think Grado's going to do. Uh, he's going to come out at one point and sort of even the odds for yeah. um, a baby face who but is being overwhelmed by Rampage and his crew. I don't think he's going to be presented as the focal point of the promotion as far as this is our champion. Yeah. Like I said, I think he'll be more like a Santino Morella. He might find himself in the main event, in the elimination, ch- the equivalent of an elimination chamber or a Royal Rumble. It's but of a how the hell did he get here? The the lovable Ooh. underdog. Yeah, I'd, I'd say the lovable underdog. I don't. I think you're being. I think you're going overboard a little bit with the Santino uh, comparison. Well, it'd Santino, be more. Well, I don't see how. Like when he got to the final two in the Royal Rumble, it was like, how did he get there? When yeah. When he was facing Daniel Bryan, it was clear that they were playing it up that he doesn't really usually stand a chance against Daniel Bryan, but maybe he'll fluke a win. And this is when Bryan was not being presented as a worthy champion within himself, you know? Yeah. It was like an unworthy challenger, an unworthy champion with an even more unworthy challenger, and somehow these are the final two in the Elimination Chamber match. Yeah, and I think Grado is comedic, but I don't think he's he's comedic to that extent. He's like a diluted version of that, I'd he say. He can be comedic to that extent if they wanted to work him like that. You know, yeah. he, he did that whole show, he did the whole documentary of him... Ebitsan or whatever Kikataru and and Colt Cabana and them talking about their philosophy as comedy wrestlers. Mm. So I think he's probably... We yet to see what his role is. Yeah. We yet to see. And what again, his role to be on a mainstream British ITV show, I think you should lean into the humorous wrestling. That's why Les Kellett is so beloved uh, when people think about British wrestling. Um, and and there was a lot of humor really to the Big Daddy character as well. You know the belly bumps and everything. Oh yeah. Um, so maybe you could build this promotion around a comedy character uh, but I don't think that's what they want to do well it's obvious that's not what they want to do when they say the Jokers are gone and all that sort of stuff so the show ends with Rampage as the champion and they're saying the era of Grado is over an era of one episode um, the <laughs> era of Rampage has begun so maybe that'll be an era of two episodes I don't know uh, I think the word era is being overused somehow oh yeah Definitely. I don't think that means what you think it means. Um, so that was the first episode. Shall we go into the second episode and then just talk about it overall, or do you want to talk about that as a first episode? Are there any sort of point pressing points from the first episode you feel need to be raised? Obviously the production values, but maybe we should save that for the end. Okay. Because I do think you're right, and I do think it isn't... It, the production problems of episode one are not solved in episode two by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. <clears throat> now, episode two is fresher in my mind, uh, purely because it it wasn't a week ago, and I watched it pr- just prior to us sitting down for this conversation. Um, and it sort of opens with like a recap, kind of like our last week on uh, situation. Which is and then good. what first? frustrates me and it's a point you've already already touched on is we get this nice recap package which is decently produced and then the commentators it cuts the commentators who do the exact same yeah. thing the recap package well is they just recap done. what happened then they tell us what's going to happen and then they're in they're at the announce table alex shane and socal val and then Stu bennett announces that there's going to be a women's title match that we've already been told by alex shane and socal val and when Stu Bennett announces it, Shane and Val act as if that's the first time they've heard it. Just going to let that point linger in the air. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's weird. It's the issue of this being post-produced. 
And I think it doesn't... it's being post-produced by people who don't follow wrestling. And obviously well... you need the outsider's perspective. But I think it's presented by people who don't even edit like soap operas or TV dramas or sports. Or Instead, if it is, they're not concerning people... themselves with the narrative. Yeah, I think it's being edited by people who do X Factor and who do Anton Deck's uh, Takeaway. Is that what it's called? I don't Saturday Night Takeaway. Saturday Night Takeaway. Don't act like you don't know. <laughs> I don't, I, my TV is not tuned in. It hasn't been tuned in for like four or five years. I don't watch British TV for the most part. If I watch, um, if I watch anything, I watch YouTubers that I'm fans of, or I watch Netflix shows, or I'm trying to catch up on like old movies that I haven't seen. Or British cinema against your will. Yeah, but we'll we'll mention that later on um, when we do the plugs. Um, so I don't watch this stuff. So I don't know. I don't. Wa- I've never watched a full episode of X Factor. I've never watched a full episode of Love Island or or, or Strictly Come Dancing or Great British Bake Off or Gogglebox. I don't know if like there's that constant. This is what's going to happen. This is what's about to happen. Just to remind you, this is what's about to happen. Did I mention? This is what's about to happen, and this is what happened previously. I think I think you do need to tell people what happened previously more so than you need to tell people constantly what's going to happen. Yeah, or if the you need to do both yeah. once, and that's yeah. it. Yeah. Um. So anyway, show so, not tell to yeah. like um call back to yourself earlier. I read an article once that said show don't tell is either racist or sexist. I can't remember which one. Um, it seemed like a stretch. How? I think. <laughs> It's basically going towards the masculine thing of don't let your emotions show. Like, don't tell people how you're feeling. Like, keep it buttoned up. Right, okay. Do they mean in a different perspective to television production then? Well, I think just writing in general. Like, as as a form of art or writing, when you're telling a story, you show you don't tell. That's, that's well, what told. jokes become funny when you explain them. Uh, jokes, uh, yeah. sorry, jokes don't become funny. Uh, we're really. Tr- there's a reason we're not wrestling announcers. There's a reason we're amateur podcasters. Yeah, we're not. It, it's Sunday morning. This shit. <laughs> yeah, there are a reason jokes stop being funny when you explain them. Like you, you've got to let people go through the journey of what they're seeing and they interpret it firstly. That's why we had a heated discussion. Yeah. Five ten minutes prior, we've interpreted that differently. Yeah, I've interpreted it correctly. You interpreted it incorrectly. Oh, I, kn- I knew, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> I just knew. I-, I threw out the bait, and you just, you know, just snaffled it up. <laughs> so anyway, Stu Bennett stands up from his announce ta- from the announce table and says that we're going to get the women's title match to the baffling shock of Val and Shane. And they're now going to have a championship celebration. So it's obvious that Alex Shane approves of Rampage as a champion. He says he's a champion we can be proud of. Uh, so Rampage comes out. We shall Samuel. Stu Bennett, not Alex Shane. Sorry. Oh, sorry, Stu Bennett. Um, and then, so then Rampage then... enters with C.J. Banks and Shah Samuels, and Shah does a little introduction for Rampage mm. and says that we have a true champion, and no one out there will have the the minerals. Yeah. To challenge. So we're now finally getting a bit of Shah's cam character, which is that he's a mouthy cockney. Yeah, but it just seems weird. It's sort of almost Stephanie McMahon-esque that he sort of runs down the entire locker room in like... It's, it's, using, just... it's using 
like, it's using cliche wrestling lingo, the boys in the back and all that stuff, that, again, I don't know that people would get or understand. No, I think people would get that bit. I, I just think my problem with it is it, it's just going, oh, everyone's sort of like spineless and kind of thing, which you need to do, but I think you can go too far with it. It's I don't almost, know if he... It feels like a Mad Libs wrestling yeah. show where you've got the format that everyone knows and then you just fit in the names, which is <clears> authority, heel authority figure, Stu Bennett, ha- says that the champion, Rampage, will be celebrated. Rampage's friend, Shah Samuels, says no one is able to challenge him for the belt. Challenger, Joe Hendry, enters and challenges for the belts. It's like, it's, you could put any member of that locker, any member of that roster into those roles. And I don't see yeah, it would change. Yeah, because you haven't established a hierarchy yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah, there's no... And it's just bland, like, create a wrestling storyline. Like, so I, like, I always thought a lot of what Shah did didn't add value. A lot of what Shah did was just mirroring, mirroring what Stu Bennett had already parroting, said. Yeah, he's just parroting Bennett's line. So it's like you've got a very short amount of time to tell these stories and you're repeating yourselves unnecessarily. And clearly, again, it's, it was cut down. Like I think Shah was on the mic maybe for two minutes and we maybe saw 20 seconds of it. Mm. You know? And that you could tell. You could tell this was a condensed version of whatever we saw. Whereas Raw, you know, because it's live, you're seeing everything that happened from start to finish. And the problem is, like with Raw, they're stretching it to three hours. So they're having to do everything painstakingly over and over again. Whereas, and rely on like 20 minute replay packages and stuff. Yeah, whereas World of Sport has the opposite problem. It's like our Raw needs to be 90 minutes or, or two Raw needs to be two hours. And World of Sport probably needs to be... Could have done with an extra half hour. Maybe at least an extra 15 minutes. Or you take out one of the segments. Because it was four segments, four matches on both shows. Four 12-minute mm. segments. Or four 11-and-a-half-minute segments. Four matches with entrances and interviews and everything else. So they're really cramming it all in. Which I think was a mistake. There should have been, each show should have been, well, we'll get back. We'll get to that. We'll get to that in a roundup. <laughs> so Joe Hendry comes out, says that in the lyrics of his song, which we should be able to see, but we can't. We should be able to hear, but we can't. We, we haven't heard what Joe Hendry's singing, really. Just that it's Joe Hendry, because they have to cut it down so quickly. That en- that was an entrance that needs two minutes of time for you to see. the. You know, they should have put subtitles of the lyrics. You should have had sing along with Joe the Hendry. Little the little bouncy ball. Yeah, yeah. On top of the words. That's yeah. what we should have had, but they don't have time for that. Partly also because the entrance ramp in the studio is so small, it only takes them like 20 for seconds a fourth try to, to get to the like ring, that. you know? Um, so he's like saying, oh, and in the lyrics of that song, as you can tell, no, we bloody can't, Joe. Uh, I, I said that what I wanted to be a champion, so give me a match. And Stu Bennett says, all right, give him a match. Now, like, Joe Hendry lost in the previous show. What yeah. Does, what, how does that make him a top contender? Who decides what a contender for a title is? He's 0-1. Yeah. And now he gets a shot at the main belt. It's... Yeah. And it's like, why were Rampage and Shah Samuels chosen for that match? And why wasn't CJ Banks? You know, the opening qualifying match. What yeah. are those five guys that made them the best? 
uh, again, that these are things that because you're starting from like day one mm. and because you've got a finite period of time, these are things that fall to the wayside, I feel. Mm. So anyway, Rampage and Joe Hendry have a match. It's a match. It's basically a raw match complete with outside interference from CJ Banks distracting shot, uh, distracting Joe Hendry and Rampage being able to take advantage with an implant DDT and a win and the first time the World of Sport Championship has been successfully defended. It's, a far it's weird as... that the title match opens as well. Yeah, but I'm fine with that. I don't, yeah. I don't care. Uh, because you want it to be main evented by the women's match. I can understand why they want to do that. Oh yeah, you know, I get why they did what they did. And I guess they just, I think they wanted to see the belt be defended as quickly as possible because they probably were aware the belt changing hands three times is not going to be great. You need some. You need someone to actually hold it for a little bit. Yeah, um, and yeah. so we um, and we get now because outside <clears throat> interference was involved, and because they taunted the crowd with Rampage's victory, and because the heel authority figure seems to approve of them, they've rapidly accelerated the development in that in that five minute spell. Yeah, they've gone from vague ideas of what the character is going to be to clear definition. But I still don't think that people will care. But people know what they're supposed to think. Doesn't mean that's what they think, but they get what they want, what the writers want you to think. Why do you think that? Well, there's a lot of thinking involved in this. They don't. They haven't done a great job of being a heel. They've. They've not. I still don't see. It's just okay. Yeah. You're wrestling heel. You're wrestling heel. Okay, I get that now. So you're bad guy wrestler. So it's kind of like how Homer says, "I get it. I get jokes." Because someone explained to him that someone had just told a joke. So then he laughs. So again, it's just like, okay. so Because Rampage wasn't really being presented as a heel. Now he is. But that doesn't mean he's a good heel. That doesn't mean a wrestling fan now hates his guts. Like, and except like, for the interference. There's a difference between people booing Elias because they legitimately hate his guts. Because of how he's been able to, he's done good work as a heel. As opposed to, I don't know, pick a... Like the Bludgeon Brothers. No one really cares enough to boo them for any other reason other than, you're bad guys, so I boo you. Mm. Do you know where I'm coming from? Yeah, that the means... Bludgeon Brothers are doing... They're not cheating bad guys. They're just like... I don't think, yeah. I don't beating think... up bad guys. I get I get that sense. Your emotion... People are clearly emotionally invested in their hatred of... the Of Elias... Whereas with the Bludgeon Brothers, they're just beating up teams that other people like. With the Bludgeon Brothers, it's clearly I'm meant to boo you. Because you're hitting the guys I like. I'm meant to hate you. Whereas Elias, I genuinely hate you. Yeah. Do you get where I'm coming from? No, I do. So right now... And that's not a knock on the Bludgeon Brothers. They're doing what their character needs to do. Why would their character, like, mouth people off? They're just there to beat people up. That's what's written. Yeah. So now it's like, okay, I get that I'm supposed to boo you, but I don't have any true reason to... You haven't given me a reason to hate you other than you're visibly wrestling heel. And in, on this occasion, you cheated. Yeah. But the, you see that with every wrestling heel. You're supposed to, anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, this is it. I think, I think cheating is going to be a very clear way of defining... Well, it's the uh, way of character. defining a heel. That's how you're yeah. supposed to do it. Yeah, but what what I mean by that is because we don't have a lot of time yeah. for like out of ring segments and interviews, mm-hmm. it's gonna have to be like 
in the sense that well, as JR says, I like heels just don't seem to cheat anymore. Mm. In world of sport, they're going to have to. It, it's it's non-optional, potentially as it should be mm. to like a large extent within wrestling as in general. Mm. So now we're on to the next match, which is. Um... Oh, sorry. So now we're on to the next match, which is a ladder match. So we've had multi-man matches, and now in the sixth match we've seen, we're getting a ladder match. There have been as many ladder matches now as there have been singles matches, I think. Yeah. So we had a five-way, we had a five way, we had a tag team match, we had a three-way. Did we have a fourth match on the last show? Uh, on the last show, yeah, that ended with the triple that triple threat, remember? Yeah, so we had the five-way qualifier, the tag team title. The dream match. Oh, so this is the second so, singles match. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's but two, yeah. oh, at the moment we're on two singles matches and one ladder match. Okay, yeah. That seems like a very bad ratio to me at this point. It's not a great ratio, no. <laughs> so again, this is a new thing that you're introducing to non-wrestling fans, the ladder match concept. Another thing that just... Thankfully, it's an easy gimmick to introduce. Yeah. But the people that they chose to introduce them with, I don't think, were particularly impressive. The fact they, uh, the fact that they didn't have someone that had been on the show before in a bit of a strange move. And also, we've got my biggest bugbear in wrestling. So, in one of my biggest bugbears, which is everyone doing their version of the Money in the Bank gimmick. Ah, I really. I thought you were going to point out two two bugbears that um my my illustrious other half though. And two things drove her absolutely insane about this match. I thought you were just about to say that with a big book, but maybe I'm about to shatter the glass for you. Um, central, yes, above the yes, ring. Yes, that did bother me. We, we we thought that might. And but that's just I don't hated... know if that's me being OCD. You know. Uh, no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It believe me. It drove her mad. It drove me mad. Maybe we are all our OCD. That's like a unifying theme. Uh, and in terms of production values, how shoddy did that briefcase look? It didn't look great. No. It looked like a genuine, like, just briefcase. Like a cheap briefcase you'd get from Argos. It seemed like a soft pleather. Yeah, someone was sent to Ryman's or, like, um, it's not Office Depot. It's not some hard Halliburton case, which is what the Money in the Bank ones are. Yeah. There was no great, you know, like the, the cases have a great design, the Money in the Bank logo, the colour scheme. Um, you know, it's iconic. Like you could buy a Money in the Bank. I'm sure they do sell Money in the Bank briefcases along with they do. Uh, yeah. wrestling championship belts now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, was, that wasn't great. And it means they can use them as a weapon as well. They're very effective weapons. Yeah, the, uh, that would probably just fall apart. No, what I love is that the wind just opened it up. And just show that it was like a briefcase with little like <laughs> little pen holders and everything. Yeah, well, and and um, Mel Mel was just saying, well, why is it just two flimsy sheets of paper? And I was like, well, that is the contract for the big opportunity. So that's sort of like, again, what do we do? We always does well is whenever they show a contract, it's in a nice big formal binder, yeah. not just two sheets of paper with a staple in. Well, I don't know if they know if they were stapled. Um... <laughs> Someone, I remember someone saying that what they would have loved if Dean Ambrose, had, when he was obviously when he won the Money in the Bank, he cashed it in immediately. But they were saying if he'd have actually had it for a few months, it would have been really funny if he just gradually just wasn't taking care of the co- the, the briefcase a lot. He was like, it was yeah. struggling from wear and tear, and he was like putting his coffee in and like spilt his lunch in there or something like that. Like, and I had just scuffed my like, so after like a, beer a while, spill. he'd just given up on carrying the briefcase around. He just had like a ratty 
the the contract in a really ratty, like crumpled up form in his back pocket. <laughs> like he just takes it out of his jean pocket. Yeah, yeah. Like he's really like scrunched up or something. <laughs> that would have been. Good. That would have been good. Maybe something for future for a future gimmick. Some for someone. Um, but yeah, this was just the people that they chose. Either weren't didn't wrestle a style that seemed to suit a ladder match, which was how I felt about. Uh, Gabriel Kidd, who seems very inspired by William Regal in his look and his style. Now, here's the thing with Gabriel Kidd. I've seen him a couple of times okay. it, doing a couple of different gimmicks. Okay. I've seen him in two different uh, promotions. Uh, I've seen him do a very kid-friendly gimmick okay. uh, in Leicester uh, City Wrestling, or Leicester Championship Wrestling, I think it's called. Uh, and I've seen him, I have seen him in a WCPW tapings as well. Okay. Um, and he can actually, he's a really good wrestler. Um, but is he a guy that does loads of top rope moonsaults and, and, no, and no, no, he's sort of like comedy. He can wrestle comedy style, but he's quite good technically. Is he, is he visibly inspired by William Regal in his wrestling? Cause that's what he looked a lot like a young, like his trunks looked like Regal trunks and everything. I thought more Ric Flair. Okay. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Maybe it's yeah. just a haircut that made me think he looked more like Regal. Yeah, um, but um, no, no. Um, from my personal standpoint, he he can do a fairly good few different things. Okay. You didn't get to see a lot of it in this match. No. My 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 one key note from this match is it was fairly fast paced. There were a fair few spots, but there was no central thread. There was no great innovative moment. There was no. It was like it was like a a cheap, like not a backyard wrestling, but it was just like a a cheap knockoff of the better versions of those matches which involve better more frankly more talented wrestlers with better looks like we Robbie, have been Robbie, X, Robbie X seemed to be the one that had did impress the most with like his moves yeah. off the ladder he did some cool stuff get, going in and out of the ring through the on in the corner that was like uh, befuddling i think it was Lionheart Lionheart seemed to be like the veteran bruiser of the match Mm. Um, but he, again, his style didn't seem to particularly. And I don't know if maybe it I don't know like what the he... health and safety entails, but considering he has had a former neck break, I don't know whether. Yeah, I can't imagine he's their insurance covered him to yeah. do a lot of high spot flying spots. I can't imagine his style leads him to want to be as reckless as he is. I don't know that much about Lionheart either, to be honest. I don't know that much. He's about one of the Rich. people to have his neck broken by I know the stars clash. I know that, but yeah. I didn't know if he was a guy that loved doing all those sort of ladder matches beforehand. If he was like a high flyer springboarding off the ropes or whatever, mm. um, which is clearly what Robbie X was, and it seems to be what Liam Slater was. But again, these guys, they, frankly, they all look like jobbers, and like jobbers within the world of sports. I guess because there was no central thread, you couldn't really establish who the and star of that match was going to be until were. the match ended. You didn't know who they were. They didn't even get entrances. They were all standing in the ring. Yeah, yeah. You, that that clearly was done as a time-saving constraint as well. And I understand well. why they did it. And it would have been fine if we'd had 30-second pre-match video packages either before this episode or before this show, mm. before this match started. Like, you put it on third and you give them a time to say who they are and what they want, why they want a big opportunity. And that's all you were told as well. It wasn't said this was for a title shot, which is what the money in the bank things usually are. Yeah. It said it was for a big opportunity. That's all. Well, we'll cover it later, but I don't think it is for a title shot. Well, and I we thought they alluded to it's that. It's pretty obvious what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I just can't. There were some fine spots, but they were like spots that have been done in other matches with better production values, with bigger names, with more impressive looking ladders, even. Like the ladders didn't look that great either. And like you say, it wasn't. The, the positioning of the briefcase wasn't central, which was. Weird. Which threw a lot of people off, I think. And if you look at the way they try and structure the match, the amount of times they'd do that spot where everyone's down, the guy would also up the ladder, he'd set it up in the middle of the ring and then have to drag it to the side. I don't recall. The, the wrestlers that, weren't really like word in that. tune with it. Yeah, it just wasn't great. Um, it also made like I don't know. Then you can't really work bumps and elaborate falls off of it. it. Don't work as well. I don't know. And also, just one ladder was taller, but nothing was really made of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, the commentators never really alluded to the. I don't the know. Hot. Yeah, there was no sign. Like the reason that a big ladder was first introduced was so that Jeff Hardy could do a swanton off of it. And then, then and then the money in the bank ladder matches sort of would make something of the the taller ladders and the advantages that they would provide, and they would usually be introduced later in the match, which the long the larger ladder was, but it almost seemed like they couldn't get. It was like it was a la- the the last of the stock. It wasn't the larger ladder though. Like it, it was, but it was just, it wasn't like special in that sense. It was yeah. just the other ladder. Yeah, you know what I mean. If if there were other ladders around, and then like. Then a larger ladder was broke out later. That's more of a visual. Yeah. Not just, oh, that's the second of two ladders. And that just happens to be bigger. Yeah. So Tyson Kidd gets an interview after the match uh, from the roving reporter uh, from the previous... Wow, that's a hell of a coup. Yeah, but it seemed like both of them lost where they were supposed to be. And they knew there were three things that they had to get across. You've won the briefcase. What are you going to do? I can't believe I won the briefcase. I'm going to... Uh, I wrestled three great guys, and you won the briefcase. Yeah, I won the briefcase. The way I described it was like you could take the words from that interview and rearrange them into something that would make sense, but it wasn't the, the real transcript. Wasn't doesn't. great. It wasn't a great showcase. And you can't blame Kid. Really, he was exhausted. Obviously. Yeah, um, and not everyone can just do the post like post match interview straight off the bat. Yeah. So it was an odd choice. Even when footballers do post-match interviews, yeah, they don't always make a lot of sense. And it's a very, like, there are a reason footballers' cliches are funny, because they are always there. Yeah. Because what else are you meant to say after 90 minutes of running around? So now we go to the tag team match, the second first round tournament match, where Doug Williams and HD Drake take on Adam Maxted and Nathan Cruz. Adam Maxted, who we obviously saw in the previous episode, the Love Island guy. Yeah. Um. This was a good match. This was the. This best, was good. This was the best match of the two shows so far. I'm inclined uh, to agree with that. The they all the people involved clearly have some talents. It seemed like Drake was the most out of place. He seemed to his timing seemed to be off on but, a few moves. But, but they the, worked that in. Yeah, the story of the match they were was doing. The, it didn't help though that oh he's the inexperienced youth rookie, but the guy's bald and has a big beard. <laughs> so you know, it did. He didn't look very inexperienced. I actually think maybe yeah. someone like Martin Kirby, with his short size, may, may have looked been. better in that role. May or, have been better suited for that role. Someone as baby faced as Gabriel Kidd, because you look at him and he is a rosy cheeked lad. Yeah. Or or um yeah, Gabriel Kidd would have been a good choice. Or Liam Slater. Or you put Grado in that position because. The whole thing is that he's not as good at wrestling as everyone else, but he's got maybe the heart and the. And he's he, got more heart, and people underestimate him because of his appearance and because of yeah. his lacking in athleticism. So, but, but going Drake back did... to who actually was in the match, like I think the master and Padawan 
versus the two pretty boys was that are two clearly defined roles and that's something that you could build a storyline out of the problem the only problem i have is that cruz and and maxted went through to the final well went through to the semi-finals and that in and of itself i'm okay with but the problem is i feel like them and reese and sabian are quite similar are quite similar the diff the only difference is that say like cruz and and maxted are both of the same sort of size we're sort of gonna get we're gonna get two babyface wins. Yeah, obviously. It's telegraphed now, which sort of fine. lets it down a little bit. Or you, or you can set up a heels tag team match final. I think that they're not gonna meet each other in the semifinals the way the brackets looked. No, no, they are on opposite ends and of the then, bracket. And then turn one of the two teams face and then maybe turn you could either turn Sabian and Reese into a sort of heart foundation. That's a lot to do, babyface. Yeah, considering they're yeah. already rushing what they are doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it feels like one of those teams will be knocked out, and that seems like a shame. But maybe I don't know. I think I think looking at it, maybe you should have put Cruz and Maxted into singles storylines. I don't know how good Cruz could be as a babyface, but he seems like a natural opponent for Maxted. Really, both good-looking, muscular guys, but you could have Nathan Cruz be a nice, a good person, and Adam Maxted as the arrogant, you know, Love Island um, reality And that may be where we end up. We don't know. Maybe, but again, it would be a shame to waste a tag team thing on that. Um, But yeah, I don't have a lot to say about this match other than it was good. You know, it was great to see Doug Williams get to wrestle a match on ITV. Um, Doug Williams... um... Yeah, he he sort of held. He didn't. It, I don't want to say he held the match together in a negative sense, but his experience just gave it that extra bit of shine. You know what I mean? I, I almost would call him. It's something I call myself in regards to stand-up comedy shows about wrestling. He's like the John the Baptist of the British wrestling scene. He was the one that would hearken what would eventually come into be. He was the yeah. first of that generation of British wrestlers that came along that reincorporated the British style into people's public awareness, at least on the online world. And, and the tape traders. Yeah, and the tape traders. You know, he, he was in that first match for the Ring of Honor World Championship. So he, he was in the King of the Indies tournament that really kicked off that whole indie movement as well. And he was the FWA champion for like two years, basically, during that hot period. Um, so I'm glad, I'm glad he was around long enough to get yeah. to do some good stuff with Impact Wrestling, you know, have matches with AJ Styles and, and all that sort of stuff, and get to be around long enough that he didn't look out of place on World of Sport Wrestling. He has, he's, you know, I mean, they were saying that this is probably his last year as a wrestler, which is fine, and I'm just glad that his last year he got to, they got to reach the promised land. They yeah. May not, they may not succeed, but he got them there. Like, yeah. It was on the shoulder of, you know, they stood on his shoulders to get there. Yeah, no, he, he definitely deserves um, any good thing that comes to him. Um, and in the writ, like, what can you say? He's just supremely talented. He's he's going to be a guy, I think, whether they end up like doing like a passing of the torch thing with him and like Davey Boy, Davey Boy Smith Jr. potentially. Could do that. Could do that. that that's like one potential out. And then um, maybe that's like how they you get could, Williams out. You could make him like an Arnold Scolan figure. For a, for a baby face champion, like mm. a coach, like a you know, almost like get him in a Gareth Southgate waistcoat. 
Um, Maybe not quite that, but I get what you're saying. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure he could do good heel work as like a, you know, he's got, he's, he's definitely got the, the face that could work as a heel. <laughs> not, not having a go at the guy. I'm sure he's a lovely fella, but you know. But you know, when you kicked in the head for a quarter of a century, you're yeah, going to look yeah. a little bit rough. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now we go to the main event, which it was Viper against Kaylee Ray against B Priestley for the Women's WOS Championship. I thought this was a fairly decent match. I've never been more frustrated at editing and camera wrestling <laughs> match in my life. Yeah, yeah I have that the, written. This was honestly the worst filmed wrestling match I've ever seen. Worst filmed and worst edited wrestling match I've ever seen in my life. The the thing that got to me the most was whenever they'd cut to the crowd, they would always linger on the crowd shot for way too long, and it would just take you out of the match. Anything else, camera-wise, that like got to you? But that's particularly what got my go. Can I just quickly track back to a point that really bothered me about the ladder match? Yeah. Lionheart got slingshotted into the ladder and he hit the ladder. But they didn't show the point of impact. It was like those old Sat- Saturday morning WWF recuts. shows yeah. where they would show recaps of Raw, but anyone got hit with a chair, it was suddenly a crowd shot. Or it would be paused and then, like... Yeah. Yeah. If you can't show someone get hit by a ladder on your show, don't book a ladder match. Yeah, because that, that's when it's meant to go out. It's not even like... Yeah. Well, we don't know if that's the case or it was genuine just like they went to the crowd. No, no, no. That was the case because it was so deliberate to that point of impact. I know they're sh- terrible editors, but it was such a short moment and it was at that point of contact. That was deliberate. Mm. Why? I don't. I don't get why. I have. I have. I've got a bit. I've got a lack of faith in this. In this. In what they're doing. To no, the extent I, I can't tell. Too many years of watching those old shows on Sky One has told me that's why they did that. We'll see. I mean, um, well, I don't they, know. When they do those edit points, it's usually there's suddenly a new moment. But it was literally just going into the ladder, cut to the crowd, bouncing off of the ladder. Yeah. Uh... I mean, I'll have to have a look at it again and see how deliberate it is. But to me, it was just because there were so many like weird cuts. I, I didn't really stand out for me, if I'm being brutally honest. But did some of the cuts stand out in the women's three-way match? Uh, just, I mean, some of them. I like the I like sort of the wide angle thing they did. Uh, I can't remember it's when one of them was going for a super kick on Viper, and as the super kick hit, they hit like a wide angle, so you could sort of see the crowd react to it. But That's just, actually one of the cuts I liked. There was one bit where it was like the biggest spot of the match. Let's just see where I can find it here in my in my recap of it. Um, yeah, so this is this is how I wrote it up. Viper reverses a double whip, and a weird series of camera cuts ends with a super kick German suplex combo from. Yeah, Prince but you didn't really Prince. see it. You could not have filmed that sequence in a worse manner. You yeah. couldn't have filmed it worse. You. I'll be honest. It. I didn't know. I didn't know that's what had happened until So Calvell said it. They filmed it over the shoulder of someone sitting like five rows back, with the referee stood in front of a lot of the action. And if you're doing this post-production, you've got all of the camera angles they to choose from. They seem to have about 25 different angles as well. So it seems like they have cameras literally everywhere. I so the, the annoying bit is... had more cameras. Well, the the annoying bit setup, is they've selected that one. Yeah, the WWE setup has a hard camera and I think two or three other cameramen around 
the ring. I think uh, they've got a hard two. camera, the panning camera. They've got obviously their ringside guys, uh, their ringside ramp guy. guy, a ramp guy. So they've got maybe and I think their commentary cameras. table guy as well. But is the commentary table just one of the the ringside cameramen? I'm not sure if it. I'm not sure if it is like the. Oh ramp no, guy. I see what you mean. I was thinking of it back in the day when they when their their commentary booth was by the. Um, yeah, I know. I think I, I think with Raw they have to have someone yeah. there. Yeah. So at most they've got maybe seven cameras, six or seven, and two or three of those are used very sparingly, and are fixed in position. World of Sport guys must have had about twenty car- cameras around the place. It's seeming that way anyway. Yeah, and they just cut to them at any. The way I described it was, it seemed like they were being cut by random number generator. Do you know where I'm coming from? It's like every yeah. three minute, every three seconds, we have a cut, and random number. We're on camera twenty. Now we're on camera seven. Now we're on camera five. Now we're back to seven. Now it's camera. It, the cut, the cut, not all of the cuts. The cuts weren't. I don't. It's it's hard to express this, especially on the spot that you mentioned. There must have been a better angle. Why choose that? Are you cutting for cutting's sake? Is it like a fast MTV kind of thing? You had the time to look at every single camera angle available to you, and you seemed to choose the worst one. Like there was a moment where B Priestley did the cheeky Nando's kick, and the camera was positioned so that her foot went off camera. So you just saw her performing a kick, but you didn't see the kick who she how she kicked that person yeah you didn't see the kick you just saw her doing a kick it would be like batman like batman fight on and he like his arm goes his fist goes off camera and the pow sound comes up shows up. yeah 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 i was so my mind was boggled by that and again we didn't get you had two episodes to set up this match and it's obviously important you want women to be featured prominently on the show as you should you've got half your potential audiences out there uh, and especially with viper i was baffled that they presented her as a heel because viper from what i can tell seems her work in the may young classic was as a baby face and she did great work in that show but her work on the world of sport uh one-off special was as a heel okay well that's I guess I get that. I just think that in this time and era where everyone's talking about body shaming and everything, a body positive role model of a women's wrestler seems like it seems. Like, how do you not make Viper your baby face? I thought. <sighs> but, but then, but then, okay. If you're, it's a very sensitive a... argument. But then you you lose your ability to have women monsters, and monsters are an integral part of wrestling okay. history. So if you're going to have a monster heel, then that monster needs to be invulnerable. Who took the pin in this match? Viper. Viper. Yeah, I know, took, I know. She took the pin after being lifted up. Yeah, I'm not saying it makes sense. I'm just saying. <laughs> it seems like the worst option you could have gone with to me. I'd have had Viper as a face. They chose her as a heel. Fine. I would have her be invulnerable. I would have and the finish didn't really come out of anything her. either. No. You know what I mean? There was no crescendo. It was a just lot ended. of moves. There was, a, to be honest, like... The women did great moves, but it was similar to the Will Ospreay, David Boy Smith. They didn't have the time to sell. Yeah. Like, like, um, she, like, she, like, 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 be, like, Lee Ray did a suicide dive to Viper, sent her in the ring, and Viper immediately stood up and put her in the Michinoku driver. Yeah. And it was just, but you did just get hit. 
Yeah. And it, like with a triple threat match, you have the time for someone to be down, injured, like hurt, and then you can, they can sell. Yeah. So the selling was really spotty to Which me. Viper did at one point when she's in the corner for absolutely ages. Yeah, but that's just kind of, it wasn't, it was a perfectly decent triple threat match. I think I gave it, I think I might have given it two and a half. Yeah, I gave it two and a half out of five. Yeah, I'd have put it around midpoint. I think if it, if it was the full match, unedited, filmed correctly, it would have probably been a three out of five match. But I was so being driven crazy by the editing at that point. It, it, it took me out of the moment. Yeah. Which is the absolute... absolute again, that is wrestling poison. Introduce these characters. You've literally now had seven segments over two days to build up these women. Mm. And I think people will be interested in their characters. Again, all you needed was just those WWE UK Championship packages. One minute with each of these women describing who they are, where they came from, what this means to them, what their attitude is, what their outlook is on on wrestling. And Viper could have said, I'm not here to make friends or whatever. I don't care. Just yeah. give me a reason to care. Or I Tell love just tossing people around. Yeah. Yeah. You just put these, like they said, oh, and she's from New Zealand. What if I'd have got to listen to an interview and go, oh, she's from New Zealand. That's interesting. And you came sure, all the way over here. Yeah. yeah. Or at least have them tell it for themselves. Yeah. One thing that annoyed me the, mo- like, the most about B Priestley's presentation was so Cal Val saying, Will Ospreay's real life girlfriend. No. Um, no. I don't want to hear about real life. Yeah. Yeah. That's those. That unless you kind of say this isn't some celebrity thing or something like that. Did they, did they say that when she hit the cheeky Nando's kick? Did they say, oh, that's her boyfriend's move? Uh, no, um, she's sort of... Uh, it was As she was walking to the ring, I remember they said, like, it's um, Will Ospreay's real-life girlfriend. That angered me, like, just yeah. incessantly. No need to say that. Stupid, pointless. They should like, have had, just say girlfriend. Had, just yeah, say girlfriend. That's all you need the, to do. And when she did the cheeky Nando's kick, they should have said, I wonder if Ospreay taught her that. Or maybe she taught Ospreay. You know. Yeah. To quote Alan Partridge, that would have been terrific banter. Oh, God. Okay. So that was the final... That was the end of the episode. And uh, Wow. It's the end of the in-ring action of the episode, and then we get the preview of next yeah. week, where it's established that we go, Rampage is going to defend yet again. Okay. He's a fighting uh, champion, is that Rampage? What a baby face. What, what uh, a baby face. <laughs> and we're about to see the revenge and all redemption and redemption match, or revenge or redemption match between Kirby and Hendry. So, next okay, week. just to go back, wouldn't it have made all the more sense for Hendry to have maybe fought off CJ Banks and Shah Samuels? And then Kirby had come out and interfered and affected and, and cost him the match. Yes, that would have made more sense. Didn't do that though, did they? They didn't do that, no. But on that point, we are of a like mind, and uh, we get an illusion that um, Gabriel Kidd's opportunity is basically him being sent to hospital. Well, he's going to spoiler warning, but he's going to fight Crater. He's going to fight Crater. So obviously, so I guess this is getting across to you, Ben, as like a sadistic. GM or whatever they're calling yeah. it, executive. Just just putting that extra layer on on his heel persona. Right, Simon, we've got eight more of these to go. Do you think these will be the only eight we do? Do you think we're going to see World of Sports Series two? Okay, well I'm going to uh, speak in um, business terms first. I'm going to put the business hat on. I haven't seen the numbers for episode two as we record. The numbers for episode one was an average viewership of 930 odd thousand 
uh, with a peak audience of 1.2 million. You quoted figures earlier that you sort of need, what was it, one to one and a half, uh, one, one to 1.2 to be considered standard for that slot. Mm. So slightly below standard on average, but in terms of peak on trend, um, we really need to see if we're going in an upward or downward trajectory from a business standpoint before I can give that sort of answer. From a creative an- standpoint, I uh, it's I don't see how those shows would have positive word of mouth. <sighs> it's something that's on. That's... Uh, there's not one moment yet that's made me go, oh, wow, this is great. I want to see what happens next with this. You know what I mean? The only thing that feels like it has potential is the tag team tournaments. Hmm. But, I don't know. But do you think that match came... um, I'm assuming you're referring to the match in the second episode when you say that. Yeah, but also, Reese and Sabian were... You got who they were. Yeah. And they did their roles well. They performed their roles well. Do you think that's enough? No. And also, I'm probably just looking at that as, like, those were two of the better matches, and so I was enjoying the wrestling matches. And I get that for this to be a But you're success, looking at that as a wrestling yeah, fan. Yeah, as a non-wrestling fan, they may, those might be the least interesting aspects of the show, as far as they're yeah. concerned. But maybe it's also because it wasn't multi-man singles matches and all that. It was just traditional tag team wrestling. And, yeah. and, the, and they worked the formula well, the formula that I recognize and I understand and I appreciate. Mm. So that's just me talking from a wrestling fan's perspective. That's the, those have been the positives so far. The tag team tournaments, other than the heel turn, yeah, was booked. I'm going to stick my neck well. out and say, from an in-ring standpoint at least, uh, the match next week between Hendry and Kirby will be a very a good talking point. Um, just in terms of their in-ring performance, obviously I can't account for what creative happens within that, but. Those two are very good performers and will do well. Yeah. If they're given the time. But no one's being given the time. That's, like I was saying, this is four segments, four matches, entrances, and angles as well. They've been including angles in this. Yeah. I think we need another half an hour. No, I think we need fewer matches. That's what I think. I think the formula they should be looking at. You know what I think they should be watching? They should be watching... (laughs) Full sale early era NXT. That's the best formula you can follow for these sort of matches. The closest shows. equivalent to yeah. what they're doing. Short show, relatively short matches that build up to bigger, longer matches. <clears throat> if you stretch the women's segments, if you stretch the women's match over two segments, ditch. I genuinely would have probably ditched the Will Ospreay David Boy Smith match, actually. And or I would have just made allusions to it happening at a later date. Maybe run a package. Yeah. Or, or okay, I, I don't like the fantasy book, but, you know. Well, we're going to have to. In, you in have to. I think you... You don't, you don't introduce... Maybe you introduce Rampage as Bennett's hand-appointed... Hand of the King kind of thing. Hand-appointed challenger, and he didn't even have to wrestle a qualifying match to get the title shots. So then you don't have to worry about the five-man match. And can I just say very quickly, whoever's in production, and you can do this in post-production, give us name graphics when wrestlers make their entrance. Oh, yeah. I want to know their names, because I don't know how to Google Justin Sizem or Yestin Reese. 
And you look at shows where we aren't meant to have recurring characters, uh, your things like your to- Total Wipeouts or Ninja Warriors, they're very good at making you care about this random dude. This isn't meant to be a random dude, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like they're spending more time on those shows investing in their characters than the show that's actually meant to have repeating characters. I actually think more than a new world of sport, they want a new gladiators. They're hoping that world of sport is a hit in the same way that the, as an equivalent of a returning gladiators as the return of Crystal Maze has been for Channel 4. But Gladiators has returned and wasn't a hit. Yeah, but it was. Admittedly, so it wasn't so on terrestrial TV. So that's why they couldn't bring it back. Because yeah. the branding, I don't say it's been tarnished, but it's already been resurrected, so there's no nostalgia in that anymore. Not yet, anyway. So, But it's obvious that the presentation, they see it as a variety show like Gladiators was. And they've hired variety producers, they've hired variety editors and directors. It's obviously not being directed by people who've got experience in sports which I imagine is what WWE look for when they're looking for cameramen and, and production people. I genuinely think... Which is weird, because ITV has done boxing shows recently. Yeah. but Or, at the very least, you, you bring in people who've filmed dramas and TV dramas and everything. I genuinely think that would be a more sensible option than to have gone with... Um, Whatever we have yeah. now. I, I can't see... I know that Jeff Jarrett was involved in this in some capacity when they were filming it. And I looked at it, and I actually looked at the end credits because I was thinking I'll give the names to the editors and have people tweet at them. But I think that, that, that's kind of online cyberbullying almost, so I, I refrained from that. Um, but it did have ITV in association with Top Rope Productions. So that suggests that there is some sort of production company that's basing themselves on, I would assume, wrestling. Which... Doesn't me. look that way. Doesn't look that way doesn't look like he's been filmed by anyone who has any idea how to film a wrestling show or edit a wrestling show and i know everyone's been shitting on the wwe and kevin dunn's production values in recent years oh yeah no actually i i actually missed kevin yeah <laughs> i would have taken kevin dunn over who they chose for this yeah um the way i put it is i think it helps because wwe you know raw smackdown are and the pay-per-views are live so they're reacting to things as they happen rather than reacting to You don't get the um, the pitfall that is overthinking yeah. of live TV. It doesn't feel like these have been recorded live to tape. So No. It, but that's what baffles me even more. It's like they've had all these camera angles that they can work from. And the choices they've made with the power of hindsight seem like the worst choices. Yeah. Some of these camera angles don't... You don't fit... They don't fit in you don't see both people well, where would you like see them you don't nando's, see them anywhere else like that cheeky nando's kick and everything and you just don't establish these characters you know what i would have actually done if they'd have had the time i would have done like a rehearsal run through filming and got all these guys as many of these guys as they could rampage will osprey david boy smith jr and literally had them go out and film like four-minute squash matches against nondescript jobbers that you don't then see in the actual shows themselves. And then when they're making their entrances and they say, oh, Will Ospreay loves to hit the cheeky Nando's kick. And then you just see him, shit the Nando's kick. Do the cheeky Nando's kick to a jobber in that world of sport ring because obviously you've got the rights issues of getting it from progress or whatever. So there's a great way of getting around it. Yeah, just 
having filmed them ahead of time, just doing almost like like, and just you don't if you do the camera angles right, you don't even need the audience to have been there, and just say do your key moves, and then they can say look out for the cheeky Nando's kick, look out for this, look out for that. They could have like um, I know this wouldn't really work for the in ring audience, but as they walk into the ring, you could have like a picture in picture like um, like sort of tailor the tape thing. Yeah, like special moves to watch out for because when you look back at gladiators when they announced the gladiator you then saw they did their pose and you got their stats and you knew who they were just really really simple things you know and obviously as you remember, i guess wolf was the wolf was the only character uh, you can recall but you you knew who each of them were you, you know you yeah. jet with the hair flip and the handless um and you knew their wheel. you knew their special features. Yeah. Like you knew Rhino would just murk people. Yeah, you knew like that skinny IT worker who's got to try and get past him. You knew that, you knew going that if to someone was going to face Shadow in Duel, they were fucked. <coughs> yeah. So, or I think Jet's advantage was speed, wasn't it? Yeah, and like Saracen yeah. was always the best on the uh, Hang Tough game. Oh yeah, because like yeah, his shoulder muscles were just. I'm fairly sure they're wider than I am. Whereas Hunter was just like the jack of all trades and he was good at everything. Yeah, sort of like your sweeper role. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he was the N'Golo Kante of the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> just whack him in the middle of the park and just have him run. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do I do? Everything. Absolutely everything. So... They filmed all these ahead of time, and it. So we're going to get ten episodes of this editing, this filming, this style, this production. Yeah, I don't. We're I don't think get, we're going to see. I think we're going to get ten episodes, and we're going to get four segments. I think we're going to get forty matches. It's a lot, isn't it? It's too much. And the roster, I think, like so. That's a forty-segment run, and I actually think series of ten episodes could be a great way to go. It worked for Lucha Underground. Yeah, but. They can... they took the time to do stuff outside of the ring to develop their characters. Yeah, but you get where I'm coming from. Like a seasons of a wrestling show is not a bad idea. No, like no, two no. two ten episode to thirteen episode runs every year could be a really good way to do this. It could be a really yeah. interesting way to package it. And then in the in between times, you get them on the road and they do little live shows around the the, the country. Yeah, with the roster. Yeah, yeah. And so then you don't have to have a huge roster, and you can sort of, I would say, if you're doing forty shows, I'd and if do... someone gets injured between seasons, you don't have to sweat it. So yeah, much. not so much. You've told your story over that time. Obviously, if they get injured during day one of their two days of taping. I don't know how long did they take them to take these shows. Did they do it like over two or three days, or was it two or three weeks, or whatever? I'm not sure. I think it's over weeks. Okay, but if they, if you did like say it was two lots, they were, I'm assuming they'd have taped on weekdays because those guys would have had to made weekend bookings. Well, I'm sure that they took priority of World of Sport over whatever weekend they were on. You know, essentially so, depends what the pay structure was like. Well, I would assume you're getting paid more for World of Sport than you would any of the other shows. Uh, look. You're not going to say, no, I don't want to go on your ITV wrestling show. No. no I've, got, I've got Leicester City wrestling to do. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to let down that Simon bloke in row three. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so if, if this is that short window of filming, then you can get Will Ospreay and Marty Skrull and Zack Sabre Jr. Mm. Then you've got the three 
probably the three best British wrestlers working right now. Yeah, uh, whether or not they'll get those guys in, I don't think they'll get well, like Marty. Said, if you can, if you can fit them in, if you only need them for like six days a year, you can very, you can work with New Japan and say, can we, you know, when are you going to work? We need these days. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, there is potential so for cooperation. There's potential there. there for cooperation, but I think you want a roster. If you like, when Gladiators started, I think there was like a dozen of them, maybe, and then as it, the show went on, it expanded to about sixteen to eighteen, maybe at the most. There's something like that. Yeah, some went and some went. They they had more as time went on, because they had more games and everything like that as well. Yeah. So I, for this first series of forty episodes, I would have had a roster of. Like eight singles male wrestlers, four to six tag teams, and four to six women. Mm. And so, what's that? Eight, 16, no, like a roster 20, of no 24, more, 22. Like a roster of no more than 20. I don't think you need 24 or so. Yeah. Is all you need at this point. And then you can cycle some in and out, and you can bring a character in. You know what? I would do if I was in charge of this. This is like, because I'm never going to get to book a wrestling promotion. I might as well tell you my fancy booking option. I would have for a whole series, this one eccentric character in the background teasing, saying someone's coming, something's coming, it's coming back, they're coming back. And then like, the last thing you see is a cliffhanger. Literally, you can introduce cliffhangers to these shows. Like yeah. the EastEnders, do, 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 is you see a Kendo Nagasaki mask. Mm. And then you bring in a new generation of Nagasakis, and you can say that in the time in between, Kendo Nagasaki has been forming an army of yeah. Nagasakis from across the world. And you can have like a black wrestler who's a Nagasaki and a white wrestler, and bring in like a J- Japanese wrestler, like I don't know, one with tattoos, or Shiyazaki or someone like that, who I don't think's got any with any particular promotion at the time. And you have like the Nagasaki clan, and that can be like a one or two series storyline. Of them taking over WOS and then being run out of town. And then, yeah. because they're masked wrestler gimmicks, you can bring back those wrestlers in their own original gimmicks or something down the line. Provided they weren't, like, distinguishable. So that's what you can like, have. You with can tattoos, have like, a yeah. series-long storyline, like in Doctor Who with Bad Wolf or whatever they have, you know? They can look at it from a different perspective. Because, like I've said, I actually to sum this up. The, three, the, the, the four biggest shows on British TV in recent years... And I said this before when we were talking about the potential of World of Sport to be a hit, were a show about baking, a show about dancing, a show about other people watching TV and commenting on it, and now a show about a bunch of muscular and large people on an island with tattoos, like... Becoming couples. Becoming couples. Wrestling is almost a perfect distillation of those four shows. Coupled with soap operas, which have always been the most popular TV shows in this country. It's yeah. acts of acts of physical prowess, which is what strictly come dancing is, under competition rules. It's um people watching events and commenting on it as it happens, which is what Alex Carval and them are doing. Actually, I would mic up members of the audience. You know, like how they do that on uh, Britain's Got Talent and everything. <sighs> Imagine that, like, as a, as a wrestler's coming out, mic up two members of the audience, and it could be like a kid explaining to his mom why he's horrible or something. Mm. Like, incorporate the crowd in that way, make the ca- crowd a character. 
Because right now, that crowd is just... There. There, doing what yeah. they're being told. And they're, yeah. like, they're reacting with the same fervor to everything. The pitch of the crowd never it ebbs and flows. It's at a constant state of near pandemonium. The way I describe it is, if the WWE did it like this, they would finally have Roman Reigns being cheered as much as Seth Rollins. Do you know who would also <laughs> be, getting, be on one gear? But do you know who would also be getting cheered as much as Seth Rollins? Kurt, Kurt Hawkins. Hawkins. So no one means anything. Nothing means anything yet on this show. And you've yeah, got it's... to get people to care. Because right now they're just giving them a poor version of a wrestling show. And yeah. any version of a wrestling show is not going to get a million viewers every year, every day, every week. So to, to sum it up, basically, you think the, the appetite is there for a good wrestling show to succeed. The appetite you don't there. think... The appetite though. is there for an entertaining show with characters that you care about. Because just a show about baking doesn't make it as a hit. The Great British Bake Off's presentation of baking is a hit. People who don't like baking watch the Bake Off. People who don't dance watch Strictly Come Dancing. People who don't... Uh, watch those particular TV shows they're commenting on will watch Gogglebox. Watch Gogglebox because of the people in those shows. People who aren't interested in running a business watch The Apprentice. <laughs> yeah, fair point. People, fair point. for World of Sport to be a hit, you bring in people who don't watch wrestling. And to do that, you develop your characters, to which do that, isn't... You have characters and storylines. What they're doing right now is just a bland wrestling show, really poorly presented through Shot. editing and, and filming. Okay. Um, any other sort of closing thoughts on World of Sport on what we've seen so far as a whole? I want this to be a hit. I want to be utterly, utterly wrong about this. And maybe this form of editing and filming is exactly how the X Factor's filmed and all that. And I just don't get how people watch TV nowadays. But I, mm. So maybe I'm entirely wrong and this filming style is exactly what people want. I don't see how that can be the case. But I am hoping I'm wrong. You're, you're hoping... You're not coming across to that. You, you want to get any like, schadenfreude out of no. this. No, we, we both want World of Sport to succeed, naturally. Yeah. I want British wrestlers to be able to make a living out of being British wrestlers. And, and, if, be cool. and if World of Sports are hit... That means WWE has to keep investing in the UK scene. Because when World of Sport looked like it wasn't going to come back, suddenly all those contracts were pro- were being allowed to run out and they were just interested in Pete Dunne and Tyler Bates. And no one else was getting... It, if World of Sport hadn't come back, everyone's contract would have been run out except for Pete Dunne's and maybe Tyler Bates. Yeah. But they're panicking now. Yeah, and it's always a good sign when the, someone else makes the WWE panic. Because usually that means the WWE has to up their game. I mean, just look at the attitude. Here. And frankly, I love NXT. So if you do a new version of NXT with British wrestlers at a time when there's just a ridiculous amount of talent in British wrestling. That we'll be able to get to see live more frequently. Exactly. Like I said, when we were talking about the, ri- the, the rise of British wrestling, it was like, is this the crest of the wave? And then the crash happens. Yeah. Or is this just the next of another peak to come? And not wanting to sound like too Eurocentric, we could just become WWE's European hub. Well, yeah, I mean, that can expand as time goes on. I mean, obviously, there's the German scene as well with WXW, uh, yeah. which we can expand to, which I imagine if the UK, if, if World of Sport doesn't happen, but they keep wanting to make a developmental league outside of America, then I think that UK thing expands to Europe. And yeah. then they incorporate Germany and then probably the UK Championship 
either becomes a secondary title to this or that belt morphs into a resurrected the European, European Championship. Yeah. So that's what that's where I think it goes. If World of Sport collapses, then I think WWE UK gradually becomes WWE Europe. If World of Sport continues to be a success, then suddenly these British wrestlers, when their contract runs out with WWE, can be part of a bidding war. And they can choose whether to go with their lifelong dream to be part of WWE or to be on the most watched British wrestling show that's not WWE. How and WWE will, will be bidding against someone who has pockets to bid with. Exactly. ITV will have the money. Yeah. And they will. And other than that, if being on I, if it being on World of Sport makes you more valuable on the independent scene of the British scene, rather than being on WWE, you're going to be with World of Sport, aren't you? You're going to be with World of Sport because it helps you out getting your bookings outside of it. And if yeah, World where's of, your merch going to come from? If World of Sport can sell themselves to other TV production companies, because suddenly wrestling is one of the most valuable assets out there, mind-bogglingly. Uh, with TV rights deals, then who knows, man? They uh, could syndicate. Another wrestling promotion out there is going to get a big TV deal. Not to the extent of the billions or whatever it is that the WWE is going to make, but you look at it, other media companies going, oh, you want a piece of this? Or how do we get in on this? Yeah. Like, this, is a, this is a one-horse race. What- how do we get our horse into it? I mean, in in December we're going to do our uh, now annual review of the year, and that is going to be kind of one of the key points. So that's why I want World of Sports to be a success because wrestling right now is almost like fallen ass backwards into a third golden age, whilst the WWE, as run by Vince McMahon, is not a good product, which is contrary to the two previous golden ages of the eighties and the late nineties. Well, when you're the only horse in horse in the race you, you don't really have to run do you but there's different races going on at the same time that are also drawing a, a crowd to make a living so you know it's weird it's weird it's interesting but maybe we're, we're about to start another yeah. like golden competitive age well i think we I, th- I think we're in it without realizing it i honestly do and i want world of sport to be part of that but right now yeah. based on these two episodes i don't see how it can be but no. let's see what happens with episode 3 but until then we promise that this will be at least half as long next time we do an episode well we have had to cover two episodes yeah. and sort of the preamble yeah and the context this. and everything so we apologise for the length of this but maybe you like your two hour podcast I don't know um, but until then Simon how can people get in touch with you to talk more about whatever they want to talk about and agree with you about how wrong I was about <laughs> Joe Hendry and Martin Kirby uh, they can find me on Facebook. They can find me on Twitter, where I'm known as Simon Cross Free. So known because next week is the third episode of World of Sport, mm. um, and they can uh, contact us. Contact us via our Facebook page. Let me tell you something. How can people get hold of you specifically, Lorcan? They can tweet me at Lorcan Mullen. That's L O R C A N M U L L A for Apple N for Norman. If they want to know my opinions about whatever films I've seen recently, that's pretty much all my Instagram account is. But it's the same name there. Uh, you can email me at lorcanmullen at gmail.com and as well as let me tell you something I now have a new podcast series out there called Best of Worst of British where I watch other things of British productions that currently fail to meet my exacting standards but in these cases it's British films uh, it's me and two comedians the trailer's now out there if you look up Best of Worst of British on Bowob Bowob B-O-W-O-B uh, it has a Facebook page, it has a Twitter account, it has a YouTube channel, it has an iTunes email, uh, podcast that you can subscribe, it's on Stitcher, 
Uh, it's on many other places. So just Google Best of Worst of British Bollwob uh, podcast and you'll find it somewhere. But until then, thank you for letting us tell you something. My name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Have a good time. Until the next time, farewell, Grapple fans. We'll be right back.